Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Covfefe Break on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and Carrie will be with us in a moment. She has a last-minute, non-threatening work emergency, uh, so she'll be along. Um, as a reminder, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Thank you so much for your support, guys. We've got, uh, we hit over, we're now over 5,700 subscribers. I think we got roughly 1,000 subscribers in the last day or two. My guess is most of it is is thanks to Dr. K. So I don't see Dr. K in chat right now, but thank you, Dr. K. Carrie uh, was on Dr. K's show. If you didn't get to see it, head over there and check it out. Um, let's see. I've got other announcements here. Um, First of all, there's a couple episodes that we uh, put out this week that you may have missed if you're just usually joining us for Kofefi Breaks. We had an interview with Yasmin Mohammed, and uh, she's the author of Unveiled. She grew up uh, in an Islam uh, Islamic household in, in Canada and tells her story, but also helps people kind of escape uh, the oppression of the Muslim world. And so check that interview out. Also, yesterday I just couldn't, I had a rant in me. Uh, I don't know if it was a rant, whatever. I had something I had to say about Black Lives Matter's demands. And so I filmed a, uh, an episode about that. It's about half an hour long. I didn't release it till this morning because I got yesterday a horrible migraine headache, which I never get uh, or rarely get. And uh, so I didn't actually publish it till this morning. But if you haven't seen that, check it out. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, I, we're already having super chats. We haven't done anything yet. Thank you for that. <laughs> I shouldn't complain, but, uh, let's see. Uh, it looks like Kent Anufrachuk sent, uh, sent us a super chat. Thank you, Kent. Let's see. Let me put it up on screen. Kent says, uh, great BLM ransom episode, Carter. Happy Friday. Thank you, Kent. Uh, by the way, Carrie will be around in a moment. The, um, what else do I want to say? Oh, I owe a bunch of you... Uh, emails, phone calls. Uh, <laughs> I got to get back to you on Subscribestar. I apologize for all of that. I, I really appreciate the help that people are providing and offering to provide, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to to utilize that soon. We're just swamped, frankly. Um, speaking of help, there's one mother, one more request I'm going to make. If anyone wants to do this, we are at the point where I need help QCing content uh, because. I do all the editing, and so with Yasmin Muhammad, for example, I had I spent a few hours editing that video, which you know wasn't too intense, but I had a couple different audio tracks just in case there was an audio failure. And I guess I pressed a key, a stray key, and we ended up with an echo, and uh, I didn't notice. So it'd be nice to have someone else QC. Hold on, Carrie's here. Let's see. Hi, Carter. Hey, Carrie. Uh, let's see. You're, uh, it'll take you a second to show up over here, but there she is. There she is, everyone. Hi. Carrie's here, as promised. Um, I was, I was just off. I was just asking people, Carrie, to help with. Uh, if there's anyone who wants to help with QC, please email me. What I'd like to have is some people <laughs> who are willing to, uh, in a pretty tight time frame, like within 12 or 24 hours, for me to reach out to them and say, like, hey, here's a video, uh, and I'll give you a, you know, a exclusive link to it, please just check it out and let me know if there's any egregious errors uh, because QCing takes extra time that uh, I just don't have and it's pretty easy. Um, oh, 
Ninja Kitty is in chat. We all thought you were missing Ninja Kitty. We had we re- wrote you off. Uh, we figured you were just playing hooky today. So Ninja Kitty is in chat. Excellent. So anyway, yeah. Anyone who wants to help out with that, please email me. Um, what else did I want to say? Oh, is anyone else bothered by so the cover photo for today? It's intentional. I'm gonna I'm gonna display it. Uh, that's not it. Where is it? Um, there it is. Cover photo for today. This is this is Roz Simone, who, who's the guy who took over part of uh, Seattle. It really irks me. It bothers me a lot. Uh, and I am going to leave it as an exercise to the people watching now to tell me why, it bo- especially the gun people, why this really, really bothers you. And we'll come back to it later. Really bothers me. Okay. <laughs> it's, you know. Uh, I couldn't see it. So you'll have to describe it. And also for people who are listening. Oh, I can see it now. This is a picture of a guy with uh, a stack of money held up to his ear like it's a telephone. And then in his other hand, it looks like he has a shotgun, a modified. uh, And anyway, I don't know who this is. It looks like a pump-action shotgun. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We'll see. We'll see if, if anyone wants to at me. Tell me why this this should bother you. It gun people, the, the picture should bother you. Um, okay, uh, I think that's all of the top of the show announcements. By the way, Carrie, we're at fifty seven. We're over fifty seven hundred now, and I thanked uh, Doctor K for this because I think a lot of that was due to you being on Doctor K's show. So yeah. Uh, so for any new viewers, welcome. Um, we are. You should know a couple. One other couple technical things. We'll get past this. I have a new camera. I can't use it at the same time as my microphone yet. I have to get a new thing. I can only plug in one USB thing at a time. I'm just going to try it today. Wait, I but, thought I sent you the uh, little adapter so you could do two. It doesn't work? Yeah, but it, it only lets you use one USB thing at a time, the adapter. Oh, it's power plus get USB. Adapter. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So I have to get a different one. Um, but uh, I will get a better camera, guys, and uh, that's coming. And thank you. And it's because of your support on Subscribestar that we're even able – to get me a new laptop and to start addressing some of our low-tech problems. <laughs> yes. So welcome. So by the way, uh, Taya, Taya P wins the prize. Yes, Taya, his finger is on the trigger. His finger is resting on the trigger. Um, bad, bad, bad Dude. rapper from Seattle. Naughty, naughty. Bad gun etiquette. That's the answer. That's what bothered me. Okay. Carrie, uh, Nothing's really been happening lately, so I guess we have nothing to talk about, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. So here's something I've I've, been, I've appeared on some other shows recently. Um, I, Dr. K is being one. My Carlos being one. And I, I just want to repeat for our viewers something I've I've been saying, and I truly believe because I think a lot of people right now, uh, my old belief system has has become dominant in mainstream culture. It's we're seeing a new phase of it. This is different. It's been different for the past five years. They really ramped it up. And but, you know, it started decades ago, but they started uh, planting the seeds and teaching this in schools decades ago. But they've really ramped it up in the past five years. And now we're in an even newer, more evolved phase. This phase that we're in currently, it is uh, you are seeing the ideology now being spoken by mainstream corporations 
you know, Spotify, Amazon, Hulu, all these different corporations are virtue signaling. They're saying the words of the cult. They're, they're, uh, they're speaking the words they're supposed to speak. It's become dominant in mainstream culture and people are being contacted by those in their lives. I've heard from lots of parents whose kids are now, uh, it's almost like sleeper cells that have been activated. Their kids are now going to them and saying, we must have the difficult conversation. But as you and I know that it's not a conversation, they don't want to have a conversation. They actually don't believe in dialogue. What they mean by having the difficult conversation is it's time for me to share my ideology with you. And I want you publicly to take the knee, right. uh, post the hashtag, post the symbols. I want you to convert publicly. That's what that means. And so that's happening. They are trying to split up families, friends. I've seen, I've heard from people who are losing family members, losing friends. It is a very discouraging time, and I understand that. And what I want to say to our audience is that this will not last. Like, do not be discouraged. I understand it's discouraging and frustrating, and you should be sick. It is sickening what's happening. This is a racist and sexist ideology that's taking over all of our cultural uh, institutions, all of our, uh, our, our, the banks are virtue signaling now, you know, it's everywhere now, but this, I truly believe this, this isn't just words. These, th this is I, an ideology built on lies. It's an ideology that is full of riddled with contradictions and it always falls. The question is how much do we tolerate? How long does it last? How much destruction do we allow it to, to create, to re, to, to, um, you know, how much do we allow it to destroy? Yeah. And so now is the time to speak while it's still legal to speak. <laughs> yeah. Can I thank um, you for adding yeah. that? Uh, we like just because it will fall eventually because of the internal contradictions doesn't mean you can get complacent and be like, it'll fall eventually. Uh, you know, communism was bad in an internally contradictory, horrible ideology. It can last for decades before it falls. Yes. You got to fight it now. Um, now is the time to speak for a up. A long time. Yeah. You know, it can get it can get much worse. Yes. So, uh, no. and and it's harder to speak later. Like the worse that it gets, it's going to be harder because they be will illegal. try and codify this into law. There, yeah. I mean, already I'm hearing from people who, and we're hearing in the Telegram uh, unsafe space chat from people who are being forced to comply at work, you know, whose mm -hmm. whose workplaces are having eight minutes of silence or kneeling. Yeah. And you have to make these difficult choices now, and they are difficult choices. I'm not saying everyone needs to make the same choice. I understand the fear. It's legitimate. It's a hard choice to say, am I going to say no at my work? Am I going to risk my job? You know, yeah. um, everyone, everyone is different. Yeah. yeah. Look, if everyone spoke up, this would end tomorrow, but everyone's not going to speak up on the same time frame, And I understand why. And everyone's not going to, you know, get over their fear in a day. It, it doesn't work like that. It took me about six months to get over my fear. And that was before things were this bad. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've been, I've been hearing from, I mean, I have, uh, I have some friends that I, I'm, <laughs> trying to warn that like i don't think they understand uh i like they want to stand up and i think that's good uh but i don't think they get like i had a friend reach out to me and say oh this person um 
I sent this person some stuff questioning the narrative, and they they sent you know what we can expect back a standard social justice narrative about blah 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 blah. Why are you questioning? Da, da, da. And she was like, and now they are just not talking to me. And and I <laughs> said, well, you know, be prepared. Like that's if you're going to take this stand, which I think you should, or and you're going to ask questions, that's going to happen. They're going to drop you. You're gonna you're gonna lose friends. Um, yeah. And uh, and and business partners. I mean, this person I think was a friend slash business partner, but they were from the music. It was like a music studio exec. It was like, all right, well, of course they're social oh justice and like woke. Of course they're going to drop you for asking questions. Of course, of course. Yes. Um, so uh, that's so interesting, Carter, because you and I haven't spoken uh, personally in a couple of days. Mm-mm. I had a three-hour phone call a couple of days ago with one of my friends from my. I think of it as my past life, but she's still my friend. Mm -hmm. One of my friends who works in entertainment and she's an executive at a large company. Yep. And it was a very similar conversation. It, it was three hours. It could have been longer. I just had to get off. I had other things I had to do, but we're going to talk again because she, and I think a lot of people are in her position. She knows something is wrong. She is feeling compelled to say something and she thinks if she finds the right words, she can help bring people together and explain. And I commend her. I think that's very idealistic. It's it's part of what I try to do. Um, but I also think, and what I was saying to her, you know, just like everyone, she doesn't want to risk, she doesn't want to sacrifice her career. She's very comfortable. She's the first to say that. Um, and, and I said, I was like, you, but you do have to be willing to risk it all. Because I know people think there's a, a way, like, this seems so easy, not easy, but this seems like if I, if I just explain it in the right way, I can help what I refer to as the ideologues, the SJWs, understand, right. and they won't come after me. You have to be comfortable and okay knowing that you might lose it all, but it's still worth it. If you're willing, if you're where she's at right now, I'm not saying everyone's where she's at right now, but the right. person who feels um, called to say something and, and they're not going to feel better until they've said it. Um, and, and that's true. That's in my experience, that's true. When I feel called to say something, I feel immediately better once I've, once I've voiced it. And, and it's true. Part of yourself if, you, if you, if you silence yourself, right. you're killing a little bit of yourself and a little bit of your integrity. Right. And, uh, that has a psychological effect. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, this, this person that I was talking to, uh, she knows about the show obviously. And I, and, uh, I, I said to her, she was when she was still talking to the other person, I said, well, Carrie would give you lots of advice about how to convince this person and like, here's some things. So maybe go check out what Carrie has to say about it. But uh, there's a very low probability of success. I would say just drop them now and move on. <laughs> move on. That's that was, Carter. <laughs> that was why I admitted like, this is Carrie's approach. My approach is to drop them and move on because uh, you you're probably not going to get two different approaches on this show. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do spend more time trying to help bring people over from where I was. I do. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do. I know. Carter's more of like, once they're infected, move on. Let's get the people who have not been infected yet. <laughs> yeah. When, when you're like, you're the person running into the burning building with a fire extinguisher and I'm the person like digging a trench around the building. Right? Like, <laughs> yes. So it doesn't spread. <laughs> That's exactly you're like doing the trench and i'm like let's go in and get people right i'm like they're dead just dig the trench <laughs> yeah i'm uh, the one that's 
trying to convince them to actually leave the burning building when they're like, no, I'm staying. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Every, with that meme, everything's fine. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. They're, they're like, doing. this is fine. I'm this is staying. fine. That's I'm what like, it is. This, this is fine. Yeah. Building's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up. You're burning. Uh, by the way, thank you to uh, um, Ninja Kitty slash Gort. Clatu Barada Nikto. Back to you. Um, Gort. It'll be a little bit of an inside joke, but that's okay. Um, but thank you for the super uh, Anthony chat. Anthony in chat just mentioned something that I do want to talk about today. Mm -hmm. If you are willing, I'm not sure if you wanted to hit what you wanted to hit first. We can hit a bunch of stuff, but I, I, I can I say something else? We, we can hit whatever you want, yes. but I, I want to say something else about what you were saying earlier. Uh, because I do think, um, I do share your long-term optimism, but I, again, I don't want people to get complacent with like, oh, this is just going to go away. They're going to go away. I was talking to my wife the other day for, and for those of you who um, watch, you know this, but new people might know this. She grew up in China and um, she's the generation, she grew up right after the Cultural Revolution, but her parents like very affected by the Cultural Revolution. Uh, she And her, one of her grandparents was in jail. Like this is, she, she knows the Cultural Revolution well. It's part of her family history. And... Um, what we're, you know, she was pointing out that what we're seeing now is almost exactly what happened during the Cultural Revolution in China. Um, the ideological epicenter was universities. Same thing. It spread beyond them. Yes. But the epicenter ideologically was the universities. Um, it was actually supported. I mean, it was kind of started by leadership, like Mao kind of the first wave Mao kind of kicked off, and then some of the more egregious stuff, his wife and four other, the gang of four, um, who were Chinese Communist uh, Party officials, they kind of uh, stoked the fire a lot. They were eventually charged with treason, I think, and executed, maybe? I don't know. Um, but, you know, they stoked the fire. Um, the movement sought to destroy history. They were the four olds in, in, in this movement, right? They were the these were the, the pre-communist elements of China that they wanted to destroy, that were the old cultures, old customs, old habits, old ideas. That was explicit. So it's the tearing down of statues, the banning of books, the vilification yes. of anyone that represents the establishment, anyone like with a job or in a university or um, not peasant class in, in China's case, oh. right? Um, they ostracized people socially and economically. Oh, you can't get into the university because you are your parents were shop owners, but you, you get into university automatically because your parents are peasant farmers. Um, you can't get the job or you can get the job, again, based on your background. Um, and they had obviously a mob mentality, right? The Red Guards, they would physically hurt people and, and even kill wrong thinkers publicly. Um, and uh, I want to read, read something from Wikipedia. So this isn't a biased, I mean, maybe Wikipedia is biased, but <laughs> this is, is a, as, you know, relatively the objective. Bias kind of source. The bias, the bias isn't helping us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is about the Cultural Revolution in China. I'm just going to read it, and you can draw your own conclusions about how it relates to today. Attacks on culture quickly descended into attacks on people. Ignoring guidelines in the 16 articles that stipulated that persuasion rather than force were to be used to bring about the Cultural Revolution, officials in positions of authority and perceived bourgeois elements were denounced and suffered physical and psychological attacks. On August 26th, 22nd, 1966, a central directive was issued to stop police intervention in Red Guard activities. Those in the police force who, defy, who, or sorry, who defied this notice were labeled counter-revolutionaries. 
Mao's praise for rebellion effectively endorsed the actions of the Red Guards, which grew increasingly violent. Public security in China deteriorated rapidly as a result of central officials lifting restraints on violent behavior. Shi Fu Ji, the national police chief, said it was no big deal if Red Guards were beating bad people to death. The police uh, relayed Xi's remarks to the Red Guards, and they acted accordingly. In the course of about two weeks, the violence, the violence left some 100 teachers, school officials, and educated cadres dead in Beijing's Western District alone. The number injured was too large to be calculated. Unfortunately, I see a lot of parallels about where we're headed and, and the Chinese Cultural Revolution. One difference yeah. I see is I think I just, in, the, in the Chinese Cultural Revolution, the military was considered uh, part of the revolutionary. A lot of the military like the, and peasants were on the same side, uh, whereas now I think a lot of people, maybe the, the brass of the military is, is woke, but I think a lot of people holding the weapons, <laughs> I don't think they're woke. Uh, it's funny because, well, I just sent you an image that I'd like for you to show. This is an image of how public shaming worked during the Maoist uh, revolution. Oh, yes, this is and a image. This is very, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how the way that you reach people is speaking emotionally. Photos, videos are good for that. People should see this photo. It, you're going to, if you haven't seen this before, think about any analogies you could make to what's been happening in our culture in the past five years and especially in the past two weeks this is a photo of what public shaming looked like then yeah and for those listening that you know you can see a guy uh wearing a basically like a chinese version of a dunce cap like a, a giant thing on his head i don't know what the writing is um i assume it's a bunch of shameful stuff and he's surrounded by angry looks like maybe angry students with fists uh yelling at him and and they they did a lot of this public shaming stuff um and you were expected to comply and sometimes you died uh sometimes they would just decide uh to beat the hell out of you because sometimes you would make the public apology right and they would still kill you yes <laughs> where have we what's an, what's a possible analogy you can draw there to the people who make the public apology, the small businesses that bend the knee and make the apologies, they they don't accept the apology. <laughs> no, nope. like that's not going to end it. Um, it's funny. I wanted to read just a quick excerpt from a Colette article about the same thing. It's called sure. "The Children of the Revolution." This is by James David Baker, and if you guys have a chance to look this up and read it, you should read it. He's got a great quote by James Baldwin at the beginning. He says. Nobody is more dangerous than he who imagines himself pure in heart, wrote James Baldwin, for his purity by definition is unassailable. This observation has been confirmed many times throughout history. However, China's cultural revolution offers perhaps the starkest illustration of just how dangerous the quote, pure in heart, end quote, can be. The ideological justification for the revolution was to purge the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, and the nation more broadly of impure elements. What does that sound familiar? Pure this whole purity test they're going yeah. through of, of shaming and, and throwing people out and, and setting them up for public shaming. So um, to to purge the nation uh, of uh, impure elements hidden in its midst, capitalists, counter revolutionaries, 
and, quote, representatives of the bourgeois, end quote. To that end, Mao Zedong activated China's youth, unblemished and uncorrupted in heart and mind, to lead the struggle for purity. When you see these young people being put at the head of ideological movements, you see the climate change girl, Greta. You see the gun-grabbing guy, the one I don't like. What's his name? David Hogg. <laughs> you see children. You see youth being put at I the face of this I think his name is officially OK Harvard. But... OK Harvard boy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I forgot. OK Harvard. <laughs> you, see the, but you see them putting children at the face of this movement for a reason. They are going after your children for a reason. They're teaching this in elementary schools now for a reason. Yes, somebody says sounds like German, Germany circa 1935. Yes, they did the same thing. The Hitler, their Nazi youth, the Hitler youth, same thing. Yep. Um, yep. So, so to that end, Mao Zedong activated China's youth, unblemished and uncorrupted in heart and mind, to lead the struggle for purity, christened them the Red Guards. They were placed at the vanguard of a revolution that was, in truth, a cynical effort by Mao to reassert his waning power in the party. Nevertheless, it set in motion a self-destructive force of almost unimaginable depravity. Yep. So there's, this article is great. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you guys should check it out. It's uh, The Children of the Revolution. It's on Colette. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, I think there is a parallel to be drawn here, and, and that's why it's so important to— uh, you know, I said this before, but you got to fight the battle when it's a battle of words, right? We're we're teetering on the edge of it being a battle of words right now. It's barely yes. still a battle of words. It, soon it will yes. be a battle of violence, like outright just violence. That's the battle. It'll just descend into only violence. Um, we're already at this point where it's like words plus a lot of, you know, losing jobs, social pressure, ostracism, maybe some rioting and, and vandalism, like a little bit of once in a while getting beat up. Um, you know, we're, we're getting there. We're getting to the point where the words aren't even, you know, going to be heard at all, and it will be illegal to speak them. Uh, well, and they attack, they attack, this is why they don't like discourse. It's a, this is a great, like, as you're saying, it's a battle of words now. They don't want us to have a battle of words. They don't want a conversation. They don't because they they'll don't, lose. By the way, because they will lose. Their ideas are bad, yes. and so what do they do? They set up roadblocks to dialogue and discussion. They have numerous roadblocks. Bo- the the easiest of which is to um, attack your identity if you disagree with them. So if you're white, they'll say it's because of your white privilege. If you're black, they'll say it's because you're internally racist, and they'll usually call you a racist slur like Uncle Tom. Right. But they will go to your identity. Um, if you're a man, it's because you're a man. If it's a woman, it's because you're internally misogynistic or because you're a white woman and therefore your oppressive white part is coming out more than your oppressed woman part. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but this is what There's they no do. There's no null hypothesis for any of this, right? Yeah. Right. They also, um, okay, so, so one of the ways that they um, pervert and corrupt discourse and dialogue is by changing definitions of words. This is authoritarianism. If you look throughout history, it always seeks to control people through thought, through words, through language. That's the way you get people to self-censor. That's the way you get them to swallow lies. And so they've well, tried to read thought are, are intrinsically related, right? They're they're yes. they're intrinsically related because you language is the labels that you apply to concepts and as you build concept hierarchy as a thinking person. I mean, there's even a debate whether we could even think without language. 
like think the same way yes. without language. You need labels for things in order to think. Yes. And so I posted a George Orwell quote this morning. It, it says, but if thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought. Right. And this is, this is why words matter so much um, and why they are trying to redefine our common usage of words. They're trying to corrupt thought. And so there's a couple, wasn't there's there, several wait, wasn't words. there another Orwell quote, Carrie, it's in, in, the, in 1984 that we read that was something about, like, they won't have the words to oppose us? Like, they won't even be able to think wrong thoughts because they won't have the words to do it? They won't have the words to do it. Yeah. They make words off limits. By the way, this is, again, this is one of the reasons they don't like it when you call it SJW ideology. They say, oh, SJW is a slur. It's not. It's just a descriptive term. We SJWs are the ones who coined that term. We used it with pride until people started criticizing our belief system. SJW is just a descriptive term. If you ask them, which I always do, well, what, what term do you prefer? It's also been called regressive left, uh, control left, alt left. Uh, one of maybe the one you could say that it has the least negativity in the name itself would be the identitarian left. That's one that Helen Pluckrose uses. Mm -hmm. The identitarian left is fine with me. What it really is, is they don't want to call, they don't want you to name it. You're not allowed to give it a name because if you get, if you can't name it, you can't speak about it. You can't talk about it. They don't want you to call it anything. Right. Because whatever they call it will be end up used as a slur because we don't like it. Yeah. We're disagreeing. Because with we don't it. like it. So. I could call it apple pie. I'm still going to criticize it. And then they right. would say apple pie is a slur. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I remember standing in my kitchen years ago with a woman who I had been, um, actually, she was a black woman who I had been uh, mentoring. I had a few founders over my house. And she started going into this social justice rant, which is the first time I'd ever heard anyone call themselves a social justice warrior. She she majored, I think, or in social justice. Is that possible? I think she majored in something like directly related to social justice, if not yeah, social justice. Racial justice. Yeah, or something like gender that. Gender justice. Yeah. And she went off about social justice and called herself a social justice warrior. And I was like, wow, that's, a, that's an interesting. I thought it was kind of a cool phrase, uh, but I'd never heard it before. I mean, a warrior sounds kind of cool. And so I, you know. That was when I started looking into, uh, you know, what is what is happening here? Because I already was familiar with bad philosophy in colleges and obviously familiar with some of the, the bad directions feminism had been taking and some of the craziness on the left, but I didn't have a, a word for it. She gave me the label, SJW. That was her, yeah. that was her label. Um, and obviously now I'm sure she would agree it's a horrible slur and I'm an evil uh, I'm an evil racist for saying it or whatever. Um, I know yeah. we're reading a lot of stuff, but I, so, can, can I read one more thing? Or do you have another thing can, to say about the 1980? No, please you. do. And, and I just have to, um, I had, I just have to plug in my laptop real quick, but please read. <laughs> okay. Um, duty rated actually sent this to me. Thank you. Duty rated. I think he's still in chat. Um, I want to read this. It was posted by a guy named Glenn Reynolds on Instapundent. Uh, it is, um, I want to read it because it's so well written that I just think everyone needs to, it's, it's one of the best descriptions of some of the stuff going on that I've, I've heard. So this is, it says a warning from a friend on Facebook. All right, here's the warning. A systemic defect inseparable from the system requires wholesale replacement of the system. 
That's the game with the systemic racism canard. The goal isn't civil equality or respect, both widely supported, but fully achievable in system. That goal, or sorry, the goal, as Matthew Peterson has noted, is regime change. That's the goal. This is why you see the aggressive delegitimization of state force, police, and military alike. The capacity for violence that is properly the monopoly of any functioning state is stripped away through the closing of the necessary political space. You're seeing it already. Police won't police. Prosecutors won't prosecute. The man in charge of the Army of the United States issues public apologies. The city fathers of Seattle abandon governance of their own urban core. Even cops is canceled. The state writ large, the sole bearer of democratic legitimacy, is envenerated and unsure. Or sorry, yeah, enervated and unsure. Solzhenitsyn would have recognized it. It looks like St. Petersburg in 1917. The powerful abandon their duties of stewardship, having absorbed and believed their enemies' critiques of themselves. When the regime changes, the people in charge will be the same ones conducting ideological purges and smashing statuary now. It will be ruled by Americans with the aesthetic ethos of the Taliban and the social ethos of Mao's China. We aren't there yet, but yes. we are a long way toward it. Events escalate, and once everyone is on board, once the nice lady on CNN who worked on Capitol Hill as senior staff gets her wish of stripping you and me of George Washington and the whole founding, then the network coalesces and they seize the reins. The existing superstructure is too attenuated to use the power at its disposal, neither for its own preservation nor for the protection of the people whom it is supposed to serve. The new one won't be. I just thought it it's a really well put. Um, it's very well put, and that's exactly what is happening. Um, and you've seen we've seen, okay, so in Seattle, I haven't watched this video yet, disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Uh, my fellow watched it and told me a little bit about it, but Tim Poole, who, if you guys are not familiar with Tim Poole, Tim Poole came out of the Occupy movement. He is a he is a liberal, uh, an actual leftist. Like I would I would call him in the a Jimmy Dore kind of progressivism camp, although no one is really any one label alone. He's definitely got some more right-leaning views. And um, like me, he he gets called a right-winger, though I think that's incorrect. But um, Tim Pool has a, a video out about Seattle, and he's like, what I heard in the video is he talks about how what they've done is kind of interesting. So what do they do? They take over this area. They immediately set up barriers they build a wall (laughs) they build a wall they don't wear against walls (laughs) then what do they do they they create something that resembles a police force yes and now what are they doing they're extorting the small business owners and the people in this area for money give us money and we will protect you yeah i don't i think that was fake news oh really well according to uh According to the actual uh, police, um, I guess they claimed earlier that some businesses had been uh, extorted and forced to pay, but the uh, best, who I guess, I don't know if he's the chief, he said Thursday that the claim was false. That has not happened affirmatively. Okay. Uh, we haven't had any formal reports of this occurring. But Of the extortion, you mean? Of extortion, yeah. All right. But they have they have set up a wall and created a little yeah. for police kind of 
group, which is yeah. what they did. And, and actually, they, they have guns, but you can't bring guns into the thing. So, like, they they are definitely setting up their own little fiefdom, where like we they have, have weapons, you may not bring weapons in. We have weapons, but you may not have them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, it's not that far off for them to be then be like, uh, we we will protect you from ourselves. <laughs> no, it's not far off. And and you know what? Uh, you know what I was thinking about this because honestly, like the uh, the voluntarist in me has like mixed feelings about that. I'm like, no, oh, you want to secede six blocks? Like, go for it, man. Uh, <laughs> yay, we should all secede. Uh, however, you're funny. Let's just like let's let's look at this realistically. Uh, this wasn't unanimous. Like it's not like everyone unanimously in those six blocks that owns land or a business said yes, I want to secede. Um, so, and uh, these people aren't seceding in order to do anything. It's not like they're like, hey, we want to be a voluntarist society, <laughs> right? They're seceding because they want to implement some form of of Marxism, and and they describe themselves as a co-op. A no-cop co-op is how they describe themselves. And I just want to point something out. Uh, in a free society, actually, it doesn't even have to be voluntarist. It could be just a libertarian, like minimal government society. You're perfectly free. Perfectly free. No one will stop you from gathering your friends together, buying some land, and setting up a commune where you implement all of your Marxist dreams you can share everything from sexual partners to food. Everything. You can set up your little commune. You can have no private property. You can have your own, like, you can do your own thing. You are totally allowed to do that in a free society. But the reverse is not true. In your society of your Marxist utopia, I'm not allowed to get the unsafe space peeps together <laughs> in a landmass and say, we're not going to be part yeah. of your system. We'd like to be free. Yeah. That's the that's the unique there's the, there's a difference there. They're not the same thing. One of them is free and one of them pretends to be liberating you, but isn't liberating you from anything. It's actually just subjugating you. And it's you need to be aware you. of that difference. This is an authoritarian, as we've said, authoritarian, totalitarian kind of belief system. It's all about controlling you. I, I saw a great meme recently from uh it was from the Matrix movie. It was a picture of Morpheus, and this guy was saying to Morpheus he said, uh Morpheus not everyone believes what you believe. And Morpheus said, my beliefs don't require them to. Right. That's, that's, see, their beliefs require you to believe what they believe. They yes. don't allow room. There's no room for dissent, discussion, a difference of opinion, a different philosophy, a different way of looking at the world. It, it, this is the one true religion. That's, that's the way they look at it. Everyone right. must come to this faith. And then right. we'll have a utopia. In the rubble. <laughs> and if you're an individualist, but, and if you're into freedom, your beliefs don't require other people to agree with you. They are free to go shackle themselves to their buddies and have some sort of commune. That's You're totally free to do that. No one's stopping yeah. you. No one's stopping you. What we're stopping you from doing, what we are, should be stopping you from doing, is subjugating us. You can, you can voluntarily agree to that. Yeah. And, that, and, and, and that's the idea. That's why I hate when people say, well, Marxism works on paper, but not in real life. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work on paper. It Unless you don't have paper. enough paper. It's like very easy to show it doesn't work on paper. It's stupid. It violates rights. It doesn't work on paper. It doesn't work. It does, it's not an idealistic thing that, you know, too bad it doesn't work in reality. No, it's stupid on, on its face. 
on paper, it's dumb. It doesn't work. And the reason for that, the only reason you would think that it works on paper and doesn't work in reality, if you don't understand that uh, things that work on paper, if you are a reasoning person and you have a logical mind, correspond to reality. The purpose of having logical thought is a the non-contradictory identification of of reality, of like things in reality. If you're rational, there is not a contradiction between on paper and in reality. Um, They're not that rational. That just bothers me. Um, yes, we know. So uh, a couple we things have a super chat, chat, and then we have a few super chats, and then I just, as you're pulling those up, I want to read. Um, Wait, is there more? I think we only have uh, the one recent one. Is there another one I'm and, missing? And Dural says, it's simply individualism versus collectivism. It always has been and always will be. Yes. This is not, don't be, don't be distracted. This is not about right versus left or conservative versus liberal or any other uh binary that they, they try to distract you with though this is all right and left or this is not about that this is about individualism versus collectivism or you could view it as this is about um individualism versus authoritarianism like like the idea of being responsible for yourself and the individual being uh primary versus the state versus authority and force right. being primary do you own That's yourself or do other people own you? That's the fundamental question. Right. That's it. That's it. Fundamentally. Um, so, yeah, we do have a couple super chats. Uh, EC Homer says, Chaz is already collapsing. It's the uh, in incarnation of clown world. <laughs> Comical attempts at growing food and infighting already. Actually, wait. I have I have a really exciting thing about Chaz collapsing. Not exciting. I have a funny thing about Chaz collapsing that I want to I share with people. Um, and then I'll get to the other super chat. So, uh, thank you. Is it H.J. Homer? Thank you. I don't know. I don't know. I was saying E.C. Homer. I'm not sure. Um, so, by the way, here's a picture. Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Here's it, it says. Uh, this is a picture of the area, right? It says you are now leaving the USA, right? But this is my favorite. <laughs> this is a tweet. This guy's got a black flag, or woman has a black flag, so I guess some Antifa stuff. Alert. The homeless people we invited took away all the food at the Capitol Hill Autonomous <laughs> Zone. We need more food to keep the area operational. This is the best part's yet to come, Carrie. Wait. Please, if possible, bring vegan meat substitutes, fruits, oats, <laughs> soy products, etc. Anything to help us eat. I, know I have a hard time believing that this is actually real, but it I supposedly it is it's it's hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> real, I heard this too. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I'm just laughing at the very specific demands from your your overlords. Your overlords are are hungry, and I know. they want you to bring the vegan food. <laughs> I, know. I know. Wait, hold on. There's another super chat I'm trying to find in here, uh, so I can put it up on screen. Please but... only bring uh, fruits. I would not. I do not like uh, green vegetables. I really would prefer that. You bring me only cauliflower. Oh, <laughs> I know, I know. It's 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 so um, it's so it's so. I heard I heard someone use this phrase in a, in a, in our YouTube comments. Uh, caviar leftist. It's such a caviar leftist. Like these are my preferred things. So uh, Keith Keith the hack guy. Thank you, Keith. Keith donates five bucks and he says, please put in please put into a bigger shovel for Carter's trench. Black Lives Matter isn't going away. Uh, yes. Yeah, we do need it. We do need a big trench. Carrie can carry. We can support her going into the burning building. That's fine. 
Elizabeth but. says no cocoa nibs. And Maria Tuscan says the homeless won't want the vegan food. That's why they're ordering the vegan food. Please. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, the homeless were like, oh, I don't want to eat this. <laughs> I would only like tofurkey. Uh, we <laughs> please only send avocado toast. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm done. sure that's I'm on the list. My joke. Avocado, avocado <laughs> toast in LaCroix. And LaCroix. LaCroix. Sorry. LaCroix. Um, Tax Terra sends money. Uh, she says this is for the Chaz Bacon Fund. I don't think they're uh, the only send fake. It's called uh, bacon bacon. I've had it. Bacon bacon. <laughs> um, yeah. You're allowed to be vegetarian. It's okay. It's just a funny thing. It's okay. I'm just laughing at the very specific demands. Yeah, that's what's um, funny about it. Okay, so right, because people would laugh at, if it was so, the right taking over thing, and they're like, please only send meat products. People would laugh. People would laugh at that. It's kind yeah. of funny. <laughs> That's, we only want brisket. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay. So, so I uh, I want to talk about, I want to get into this stuff about language. Okay. So about controlling okay. people through controlling thought through controlling language okay. and corrupting thought by corrupting language. So one of the things that my old ideology has been doing for decades, this isn't new. They've been trying to redefine words. It's necessary for them to redefine words because how do you get a lot of the people who fall for this ideology get seduced by it like I did are against racism and sexism. That's why they're joining it. It's It tells them this is anti-racist and anti-sexist. This is why if you have friends and family falling for this, many of them have big hearts. Many of them have good intentions. Um, and so how do you get people who are against racism and sexism like myself to go and preach what is ultimately a racist and sexist ideology, you have to change the definitions of racism and sexism. So they have been pushing for decades now, and I used to preach this and push this. They, they preach that the new definition of racism is prejudice plus power. The new definition of sexism is prejudice plus power. Therefore, it is impossible, and they define power as your these identity group if what i what power the identity group has if you're right? part of a group that so therefore they say power, right yeah yeah right so therefore they say um because they divide the world into all these identity groups just like white supremacists do they say the best way to look at the world is as a struggle for power between identity groups so you must put everyone in these groups don't look at them as an individual look at them as what race they are what sex they are whatever um if they're in the white group or if they're in the male group they have privilege and they have power Okay, they don't look at you as, as an individual. They just describe the what they call the group level of power to you. Mm-hmm. So, so the way they are defining this term, racism equals prejudice plus power. What they mean is that it is impossible to be racist towards a specific race. When they say sexism is prejudice plus power, they mean it is impossible to be sexist towards a specific sex. But if you know friends who are repeating this, here's two good questions to ask them. Why might your ideology, why might any ideology try to redefine these terms so that they can convince you it's impossible to be racist towards a specific race or sexist towards a specific sex? Why might that, why might that be happening? And secondly, what might be the possible repercussions of doing that way down the line? if you convince generations of people that this is okay and that it's because it's impossible, any behavior whatsoever, 
you can have towards this race and it's not considered racist or towards this sex and it's not considered sexist. What are the possible repercussions of that? Um, and so they've been trying to redefine it for decades. And, and now they just, um, let's say they, they just move the football forward a little bit. They've been moving it forward a lot in the past two weeks. They just mm-hmm. got the dictionary, what Merriam Webster to change the definition of racism. Oh, did they? And I say, that finally came. This came. So I, I sent you an article. I just sent you the article about it to pull up, but it, they haven't changed it yet, or at least they hadn't yesterday. They just announced they're going to be changing it. And within the same day, the same day that they announced they're going to be changing the definition, we already saw people out there using this as further justification for spreading this racism. Because now they're pointing to this article. They're not even pointing to the new definition yet because it wasn't up yet yesterday, but they're pointing to the article. And um, I also sent you a screenshot of a conversation on Twitter. It's a black teacher. And she basically asked, we can look at her tweet, but uh, do you want to pull up the article about redefining the term first? Yeah, I got the article uh, here. I'll okay, put let's it up look while, at that. while I'm getting the other thing. Okay, you see it? Yep. So, yeah, the headline, Racism Definition, Merriam-Webster to make update after request. Um, (laughs) Request. They got flooded by, they were mobbed by SJWs, just the way that Maria Tuscan and uh, Marie Buskey and everyone else gets mobbed, and they just said yes, because they're they're not anti-woke. You have to be actually anti-SJW to to withstand a lot of this stuff often. Um, So... Yeah, they're going to change their definition of the word racism. Uh, let's see, do they have what it is? <clears throat> Here's their current definition. A belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race uh, to a doctrine or political program based on the assumption of racism and designed to execute its principles, uh, a political or social system founded on racism, three, racial prejudice or discrimination. Um, and they are going to change it. But they don't have the new one here, do they? They don't have the new one yet. And by the way, number two, they added uh, part of that one in in 2016. They did it quietly. Right, that's a new um, You can look at the... One. Yeah, that they did it quietly and they didn't announce it, but they did that during the presidential campaign. I saw it and I have screenshots of the before and after and you can go on the Wayback Machine and you can find the old one. That second definition that they added in 2016, I think, I think was a precursor... So you edit it a little bit, then you edit it a little bit more. They're trying to get to the prejudice plus power place without just abruptly doing it. The Somebody asked yesterday, what are they changing it to? I was like, well, give them a little time. It's going to take them a while to put prejudice plus power in a lot of words, in a lot of words to try and make it make sense. They'll get there. They'll get there. And, and you know, for for those of us who have been following um kind of the deconstructionist uh effects of the deconstructionist movement for years um this is not a new tactic it's not like they're suddenly trying to change words they have been changing words the word inflation sounds like a minor word but like the word inflation actually has changed inflation technically just meant uh increase of the money supply i'm talking about monetary inflation increase of the money supply but they changed it 
they changed it to mean a while ago to mean the price increase as a result of the increase of the money supply. Now, why did they change it? They changed it because there's a delay between the price increase and the increase of the money supply. So they changed it so that they can increase the money supply and say, look, there's not inflation yet. Oh, look, inflation happened later. What about that? Who knows why inflation inflation happens for a number of reasons, right? They, they, they decoupled them intentionally so that you couldn't pay attention to what they were doing. And this is not, it's not a new tactic at all. And it's not limited to the social justice left. It's, it's anyone who is attempting to push forward a philosophy that is uh, not confident enough to be grounded in reality. Any philosophy that's worried about actual clear definitions of, in like that relates to reality needs to start, you know, mucking with definitions, which is, by the way, I'm going to show my nerdiness right now, Carrie. <laughs> you mean just, you're showing it now? <laughs> yeah. <You haven't> <laughs> this is why, this is why if you're, if you're like me, you went out and bought a super old dictionary from a bookstore back when bookstores were around. So that whenever anyone uses a word and it seems a little bit weird that they're using it that way, you can look it up, you know, and and you can see, did they actually change the definition of this word? And I would say 75%, like 25% of the time they haven't and maybe I just didn't understand the word or they're using it wrong or whatever. But I would say 75% uh, of the time, the word's been changed. The word's been changed and it's changed. Who the hell do you think gets jobs with like dictionary companies? It's English majors and like <laughs> it's it's the university yeah. uh, it's the university elite that go that you know they go get jobs at dictionary and like think about it, if you have a job at a dictionary, it should be kind of boring, right? It should be kind of like well like I guess we already have words, so like how many new words come along? I guess you have to add words like uh, cromulent, bootylicious. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> or yeah, I was thinking the Simpsons, but like yeah, you gotta add you gotta add stupid new words, but. What else? What other work do you have to do? But you know they're activists because it's all the humanities departments that that do these things. They're activists and they need to do something, and this is a great way. And they and they do it slowly, right? And they do it. And I don't even think they do it slowly. Uh, necessarily, I don't think they do it slowly um, as like this intentional master plan. I just think the culture in the uh, editorial rooms of dictionary companies slowly it changes does, over time. It right? changes. And like, it's. You know, that's you, you need to you need to stop thinking about. So a question earlier in the chat someone had, and I told him that I, I would answer it on air. He asked, like, who are the leaders who are who are pushing this? Is it Soros? Is it the look? Soros actually does fund a lot of organizations that fund some of these organizations. But this isn't something. He's not some mastermind. There's no there's no shadowy room with men who are or people or women or whoever who are pulling the strings ideology right. we, we tend to we want to find a bad guy we want to say who who's the leader there's lots of leaders there's it's lots like cancer. of them. There's, it's like a cancer it, it spreads, spreads and by itself but there's lots of leaders and you may find them i like to call them the high priests or priests of the movement they are the ones who kind of ever, the other sjw's look to to explain the contradictions so you will see um in a in a local group like one of my local sjw groups here in my town they have, they've, okay, they teach the rules, right? And you've got all these good intentioned uh, new SJWs in the group and they've been told, here's one rule, okay? White people need to shut up and listen to people of color. That's it. 
if a person of color is talking about race, you need to shut up. You can't speak. You can't have an opinion. <clears throat> Some of these well-intentioned white people started sharing videos of black conservatives in the group. They were like, what about this person, Candace Owens, who they had never heard of before? Or what about Am I allowed to Hughes? listen to her? Yeah. <laughs> or what about David Harris? And they were literally confused they, they because they bought into this belief system. They've been told that all black people have the same opinion and that that's why they must speak this ideology because this is the ideology of black people. And you must speak on behalf of this marginalized, downtrodden group. They all have the same. They're all in this belief system. So when they're confronted with black people who are not in this belief system, they're like, they they believe they go by the rules at first, the ones with good intent. Mm -hmm. They Someone shared the Candace Owens video and she said, I don't understand why she has this position, but I'm willing to shut up and listen. <laughs> so told, right? No, no, don't do that. Not for Candace. Right, and and so then what happens? The high priests and priests of the the high priests and priestesses of the movement that come in, and there are little ones in every every SJW. Sure, there's every there's... community where there's SJWism. There are the ones who come in and they explain the hypocrisies and the contradictions, and they try and make it make sense for the people who are more logically minded and who are they, who are idealistic and who truly believe in this. And so what happened? White people were like, I'm ready to shut up and listen to Candace Owens and try and understand. So then that's when, and it's usually, they're waiting to hear from another person of color. So then a black SJW will come in and say, here's why shutting up and listen to people of color doesn't mean that black person doesn't mm. mean that black person or these black people. Here's why you shouldn't listen to them. The real answer is because those black people aren't speaking the ideology. And the real answer is because when they tell you in this belief system to shut up and listen to voices of color, they don't mean it. They mean shut up and listen to this ideology. And, mm -hmm. and that's why they let white people speak who are speaking it. That's why white people run around telling one of them told Eric July, who's black. He posted this. He got told by a white woman that he needs to shut up and listen to black people. And she didn't realize he was black. <laughs> did, did she know he was black? No. And he oh. was like, he he did a video going, I'm black! Like with his face. <laughs> she told him to shut up and listen to black people. It was a white woman. Do you know why a white woman said that? Do you know why she felt comfortable saying her opinion and not shutting up? Because she's speaking the ideology. They are liars when they tell you that it's this is about shutting up and listening to black voices. No, this is about shutting up and listening to the ideology. And as long as you're speaking the ideology, they don't care what race you are, white, black, Latino, Asian, as long as you're saying the beliefs. If you're not saying the beliefs, they attack you and say, well, if you're white, they say it's because you're white and you have white privilege. Uh, if you're black, they attack you and call you Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom. They call oh, you yeah. racist slurs. They call right. Candace Owens... Aunt Jemima, Dr. K pointed out someone calling her Aunt Jemima. They still go after their identity, just like white supremacists do. Their number one way to attack you is through identity, just like white supremacists. Yep. Yeah. I'm sorry, I went on a bit of a tear there. It's a good tear. It's a good tear. <laughs> let me let me catch up on a couple of super chats, Carrie. Okay. Um, Ian Burns, thank you, Ian. He says uh, your meeting BLM demands peace was great. Anarcho capitalism sounds good. Uh, thank you, thank you, Ian. You know. A quick note on anarcho-capitalism, because there's a lot of new people. Uh, anarcho-capitalism I use interchangeably with voluntarism. Um, as as I've said a million times, we've said a million times on the show, uh, you know, so a Andrew Breitbart had this idea that politics was downstream from culture. We, we agree with that uh, idea of his. 
I also believe that culture is downstream from philosophy. I don't think you can have a peaceful voluntarist society until it's backed by culture, which is, needs to be backed by proper philosophy. You need a culture to support whatever political system you have. This is why I don't think changing laws um, generally is the way to change the U.S. Um, in a positive way. We can't. We can't. We can't. Um, legislate our way back to freedom. And the reason for that is we already have a constitution that is violated by probably 90% of the laws that are on the books. There's already We already ignore all the laws, and what allows us to ignore all the laws is our culture. And the reason our culture is the way it is is because uh, we've accepted really, really horrible philosophical premises that have been pushed on us and taught to us in government schools, universities, and then and then um, paraded out by the media. And, so, and, and this has been for generations. And so we have a culture that doesn't give a crap what the Constitution and the Bill of Rights says, and will allow for the interpretation, as liberal as possible, and I mean liberal in the bad sense, as liberal as possible of an interpretation of, of the laws uh, so that they can get closer to their socialist utopia. So this is why we talk less about political change and more about cultural change and philosophy on this show, because if we want to get to the end goal, it first requires uh, culture and philosophy to change. And... Um, so even though I consider myself a voluntarist and an anarcho-capitalist, uh, I'm I also think that I'm on I'm just walking next to the libertarians and we're all on the same road and I'm not even going to argue for voluntarism or anarcho-capitalism until we all get to the minimal government road and then we can take a sigh of relief we can have a party when the government gets small and then then I can start making arguments about like hey you know, we really don't need to do this little thing over here. Why don't we try and, and privatize that? And that's the way that I, that's the path that I see forward. I, I don't think, so don't confuse the fact that I'm a narco-capitalist with uh, the, the quote, anarchists that are protesting in the street that just want chaos and their Marxist agenda. That's not the same thing. Um, and that's not the road I'm on. So I just want to make that point. We have another super chat from, uh, I think the next one was from Sugar Waters. Let me find it. Sugar Waters, where are you? You're in here somewhere. Yes. Sugar Waters, as you're pulling it up, Sugar Waters says, yep. are you going to talk about the push to change to change the word woman, the J.K. Rowling kerfuffle? Yes. Here's where I wanted to go with this. And I, I still want to show this Twitter thread. I don't know about this. Can you, can you tell me that? Yeah. So here's what I'm going to say about this. So they, they are, there's a, several words they've been trying to redefine over the past few decades. Racism being one, sexism being one. They are also trying to redefine woman and man. They are trying to redefine biological sex. And so I don't need a crystal ball to know which words the dictionary is likely to change in the next few years. I just need to look at over the past two decades, what words are they trying to change already? Um, J.K. Rowling is an interesting case because J.K. Rowling is, um, everyone has their line their breaking point, their line, their, their point at which they, I think they kind of wake up. Some people don't wake up until they're murdered by the, these tyrants, right? right? They, like they, they get on the boxcar. They never wake get up, on the right? Boxcar. Yeah. Yes. But JK Rowling's interesting because I think she's in the middle possibly of waking up. She's certainly, there's one issue in this that she has a line on a hard line on and what I think what usually happens is if you start to realize they're lying to you in one area, it, it makes you hopefully um, makes you more able to see how they're lying to you in other areas. And so her line is the redefinition of woman. 
Her oh, line she's called is called the turf now, right? People are angry that yes. she's trans exclusionary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one of their slurs, they have all these slurs that they will call you if you oppose them, if you speak against them. Um, obviously, if you speak against this ideology as it relates to race, they will call you a racist, which is the ultimate hypocrisy because they are the racist. This belief system is racist. Um, but if you speak against um, what they are trying to do with the trans ideology and they are using trans people. I know several trans people who do not agree with this belief system. There are many trans people who do not. And many trans people actually find this ideology to be dangerous for them because it's seeking to redefine the categories of man and woman. And it's making them as much of a target as biological men and women, because a lot of trans people who, who pass, you know, like one of my friends, nobody sees him as a woman. He's a biological woman, but he, Nobody would ever think he was a biological woman. Right. So as a man, he is he is now in the oppressor group. He is now threatened by this belief system because they are pushing a, a, the postmodernist influence on this type of identity politics. Marxism believes there's no objective truth, no objective reality. And it's basically like the destruction of anything, of any categories, of language, of thought, of free speech, of discussion. They are trying to destroy the categories of male and female, and that's why they they now say there's 97 plus, like, infinite numbers of genders, right? And that you can be non-binary, and the, most of the trans people I know do not, they find the non-binary stuff insulting, because they've spent their whole life grappling with wanting to be the other sex, wanting to be the other gender. No, a lot of trans people and, explicitly recognize binaries, and they feel like they don't fit into the binary they're supposed to, right. and so they want to go to the other one. Right. And yeah. so um, I, I call this new kind of the, the, the explosion that we see happening in schools now where little kids are now deciding they're trans or non-binary. Um, I call them trans trenders. It's, it's, a, it's almost uh, like a, 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 it is a virus. It's a part of the overall SJW virus. But the trans part of it in particular, they are forcing, they've got this in schools now where they're telling little kids, I mean, essentially, you're having to decide what sexuality you are in, in first grade. Well, not sexuality. I mean, yes, that too, yeah. but like I mean, what gender, no. sex you are. Right? Yeah, I didn't get to finish. Like sexu what sexuality you are, which is oh, crazy, oh, okay. but also what gender you are. Right. They're forcing kids to grapple with a question that 99.999% of kids and people have never had to grapple with. They are telling them this is something you must decide now. You must decide this part of your identity. And so, of course, you're going to see kids who are now saying, oh, well, I choose this then, right? Or I choose that. And you're going to have kids who are confused who never would have been confronted with this and never would have innately had this question about themselves. And so you see this yeah. it, just amazing explosion, like the number of so supposedly transgender cases has exploded. They will tell you, oh, that's because we're now getting rid of the prejudice against it and the bias against it. No, it's because you're introducing the idea in the question and giving it to them at a young age. Well, and a lot um, of kids that are, popular. yeah, a lot of kids that even start to question. So they introduce the question. And then a lot of kids that that grapple with it at all, just like, oh, interesting. Like, now I'm having doubts, right? Those doubts are, um, are then viewed by the... I would say the radical trans movement, which, which which controls this, right? Those doubts are then fed and fed and fed. And they really want, like, if you go to, I have a friend whose um, daughter was having doubts about uh, whether she was a girl. And the, the school therapist, like the therapist, the school, everyone, everyone was not sitting down with her and saying, 
well, let's actually go through what are your issues, like what are your other psychological issues, like let's actually unpack this and see how you feel. It was like, oh, need a trans she needs a transition. If she's having questions, then she's definitely trans. Um, and so, well, she's having questions because you brought it up. But now that she's having questions, they push her into trans. And I think there's going to be a hell of a lot of lawsuits from kids who were pushed into uh, oh, yes. permanent and damaging uh, uh, sex change operations and drug regimens that uh, leave them sterile and cause other problems. And, uh, you know, they're minors. They can't consent. Like, we, we, don't, we don't view minors as... as as people who can consent because they don't have the the capacity to understand the consequences of their decisions, um, but we give the entire trans movement a pass for that, and we say, oh well, you know, yes, a nine year old can consent to deciding to be sterile for life, right? And that's that's just ridiculous. Um, can we do some super chats? Let me just yeah, as you're wait, you're, them you're up, quiet again up. all of a sudden. Why is that? Uh oh. Well, uh, I'll do a super chat here. Um, we will pull up Dr. K's super chat. Thank you again, Dr. K, for helping drive people to us uh, in the last uh, last day or two. Um, as I mentioned before, if you haven't seen Dr. K's recent chat with Carrie, go check it out. Uh, Carrie, I'm just doing a super chat while you're gone. Uh, Dr. K asks uh, or says, in power plus prejudice, is it just assumed that if you have power, you also are inherently prejudiced towards the groups you have power over? Um, I yes. well, I do think that I do think there is an assumption, but it's not you. Like this is the this is the thing with the power plus prejudice definition. It's not even accurate. They're going to have to go farther because people are going to start to realize that that definition is broken because it's not your personal power. It's the power of your skin color as perceived by uh, them, right? So, like, uh, if a black trans woman is my boss, well, she has a lot of power over me, but I'm still considered the powerful one in that relationship because I'm a white cis hetero male, right? So uh, the, the power, even the definition, it's not prejudice plus power. It's prejudice plus uh, what, what, what power group you're in. And, um, and so I, I do think if you're in that power group, you are perceived to just automatically have power, yes, or, or automatically have prejudice. They do assume, I think yes, Dr. K is they, right. They assume if you're in that group, you're prejudiced. Yes, they, they absolutely do. It's it, And you will hear um, Robin DiAngelo, who is a white woman and has the number one book on Amazon right now because White Fragility, which is one of the top, I would say, cultish books of this belief system. It's on a, you know, how to be an SJW cult member 101. Go get White Fragility, man. Uh, Robin DiAngelo is a white woman who coined that term, much like white privilege was coined by a white woman, Peggy McIntosh, in the 80s. A wealthy, independently wealthy white woman. Very wealthy, privileged white woman. Um, and so she will talk about how she has prejudice. This is a thing now. The white SJWs are being told to confess. Th th it's religion. They're confessing their sin. What is your sin? Your innate prejudice and privilege. They are being told. And so I, th this comedian I used to represent, um, who's black, his wife is white. They were at a public town hall and there was a news article written about this. This is since we, he and I parted ways. But, um, you know, his wife got up, his white wife got up and said, all of us white people are racist. Every white person is racist. I am racist. 
That's what this ideology teaches. You are innately sinful, that you are born with prejudice. What's really sad and, and sick and evil about this is that they're teaching their kids this. They are telling their children, you are white. You are born with inherent prejudice. Yeah, we've talked about that picture That's with the, the little girl. That's an evil thing to say. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, you know what? They just rehired. Do you know uh, L'Oreal? Remember they fired the black trans woman a couple years ago for saying, for her tweets where she had said that white people are born racist, that they're inherently prejudiced? Well, now that the now that this this shows you how far this ideology has come in the past couple years, they just rehired her and made a big to do about it, and basically are you know what does that mean? They're apologizing for having fired her because it is okay for her to say that all white people are born racists. Right, and and you know uh, this is the thing about this this ideology. They are they're black belts at projecting. Um, they just, they're really good at projecting. And so, uh, they will get their, if you try and have conversations about any sort of, uh, difference between races for anything like, Hey, the black community has higher crime or, you know, there, there might be some genetic differences even like we see a lot more NBA players that are black than white. Like, can we look into that? You're not allowed to have any conversation about, about any inherent differences unless it serves their narrative, in which case white people are like just genetically evil and racist. And like that's that's a thing that we're just supposed to accept. Um, by the way, thank you to Kim Ray. Uh, Kim Ray just gave us a super chat saying uh, to all the good rants. And she gave us a thumbs up. Also, Keith, the hat guy, uh, Keith points out. Thank you, Keith. Keith says BLM today would call MLK and Uncle Tom. Absolutely. Uh, and I think. Uh, I think during it was during the Yasmin Muhammad interview that Carrie, you pointed out that that social justice warriors do not allow you to quote Martin Luther King's "I Had a Dream" speech. No, they don't like it when you quote because they don't like it because it opposes their ideology. They don't like it when you quote how he talks about, um, you know, I have a dream that one day my children will be judged by not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That is directly oppositional to this belief system. This belief system tells you and justifies why it's okay and why you should group people by race, judge them and treat them differently because of race. That's that's directly opposed to what Martin Luther King talked about. And so they do not like you quoting him. Now, they still try to claim him and they try and take his words out of context. Not those words. They totally ignore those words and they hate everyone mentioning those words. They will take other words of his and try and twist them to support their violence or to support, you know, force. Um, he did get more radical before he died, or right before he died, I think, a yeah, little bit. Yeah. A little bit, but even in the portion of the, they don't take them in context. There's a, there's a part, there's a, one of his speeches where he was talking about how he was against rioting. Okay, they delete, they don't mention those parts of the speech. They go to the part where he explains why the rioting happens. And trying to make people understand, he says, "This is the voice of the oppressed, the voice of the marginalized." Right. And they use they that. They take that Ryan. and they use it as justification. They don't. They don't take it in context with the part where he just opposed it and said it's not right. They just take the part where he tries to explain why it's happening. This is like me saying, "Okay, this is as if this would be like if you took me, 
Carter and I have talked about before, I understand why this ideology is pushing white people into white supremacy, some white people into white supremacy. Oh, absolutely. I've seen, and I understand why that's happening, and I can explain to you why that's happening. I do not think that's a good thing. I oppose (laughs) that. I do not want to see people become white supremacists. That's why I speak so much about this, because I don't want people to think that's the only avenue. Don't go there, right? That would be like them taking what I just said and saying that I'm defending white supremacy, which they would love to do, and they probably will do at some point anyway. They would just take the point where I say I understand why it's happening. Right. So he said, I understand why the rioting's happening. Here's why. They They don't include the context where he's saying I don't support it. Right. The conspiracy theorist but, in me, so, Carrie, I always like there's always a little part of me that thinks, uh, you know, especially when you look at like Robin D'Angelo, Peggy McIntosh, a lot of like white women uh, involved in some of the fundamental uh, or pushing some of the fundamental uh, or at least popular beliefs. Um, there's like a little part of me, conspiracy theorist, that's like white supremacists invented this. They invented this whole thing so they could have like an, a devil to fight. <laughs> Um, and, and it's a recruiting tool. I don't believe that's actually true, but the, the crazy conspiracy part of me is like, uh, I don't know. It would be like some 40 chess strategy for them to do, but, um, it, it certainly, um, you know, so- if you're a young white person growing up today, you're presented with two options. One is, uh, races are Too unequal false. and yours option. is inferior Too and false. should be subjugated. What? I was saying these are both. This is a false dichotomy, though. Don't believe these are. That's your what only I'm two about options. to say. Yeah, this is what they, you're presented okay. with. Okay. Yeah, you're presented with two options. One option is uh, races are unequal and whites are inferior and should be subjugated. The other option is races are unequal and whites are superior and should subjugate others. And those are the only two options that you're given. And in reality, this entire nation and the uh, Enlightenment was built on the idea that. Actually, neither one of those options is true. The races can be equal and not subjugate anyone. No one has to be subjugated. We can all treat each other equally. That's the idea of individualism. Granted, the U.S. did not incorporate it correctly and fully in, uh, in its founding documents. And that was one of the arguments that uh, abolitionists used, like Frederick Douglass, uh, to argue that like they, they basically said, Frederick Douglass said this, he said, look, you are not living up to the ideals upon which this nation were found, was founded. These laws that you have, some of these things that you wrote down contradict the ideals of the United States and they need to be repealed. And he was right. Um, but when you're growing up in this culture and you've got basically two race, the only narrative, the mainstream narrative is be racist this way or be racist that way. Those are your choices. It's not surprising that a lot of people are going to choose like, well, I guess I'll be racist in the way that doesn't isn't self-flagellating. Um, but you don't have to be racist in any way. You can choose not to be racist at all, and you can choose to be an individualist. And that's the right choice, and that's what's dangerous about this ideology getting pushed into the mainstream narrative. Because, by the way, we're talking a hell of a lot more about white supremacy now than we were in the 90s. Yes. Yes. They are... You're exactly right, Carter. They are... Um, I think you're idea what you're saying there's no white supremacists didn't create this i understand why i know i understand what you're saying though but because they benefit from it white supremacy benefits from this ideology and this ideology you better believe benefits from white supremacists that's why they want more of them because they have to have the enemy 
to supposedly fight. They have to have the justification. They're building the alt left is building the alt right. They both like, share the same here. fundamental tenets about race. Yeah. yeah. They both share so, the same thing. They they're both racists. Yeah, um, completely. All right, and, and they're both. It's a both collectivist. So, okay, go okay, ahead. Can we do some super chats? Because uh, we're behind. Yes. Thank you, uh, for Billy the super Costello. Chats, guys. Thank you. Uh, Billy gave us twenty pounds, uh, which means that Billy is more sophisticated than all of us and probably has a monocle <laughs> and is drinking tea right now as we speak. Thank you, Billy. Uh, Billy says it feels wrong to say hello without a tip. Of course it does, because you're a good person. But you don't have to give us a tip just to say hello. Uh, I bloody love you guys, and you used bloody in your chat. Um, I'm going to be an Anglophile for just a moment. Um, that was, <laughs> thank you for the very British, uh, interaction. Um, Elizabeth O'Brien, Elizabeth O'Brien sends us five bucks. Uh, thank if you, I can Elizabeth. find it, I'll put it up. Thank you. Where is it? She, uh, and, and it comes with a little Bravo. Uh, I was going to say emoticon, but I feel like that's an old person's way of saying emoji. Is that, a, <laughs> is that not a thing? <laughs> It's an emoji I'm mail Carrie. murder. Huh? It's an emoji. It's an emoji? All right, I can't yeah. even find her chat or her, her message. I know it's in here somewhere. Uh, Billy is, by the way, he says, I'm Scottish. I'm drinking whiskey. Oh. Uh, I've You just changed my perception of you, but in a good way. So uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Billy. If it's not Scottish. Uh, uh so I I, as I you're can't looking find for the chat. chats, uh, that's okay. Thank you. We will try and find it later. Uh, Blackbeard. Do you see that one? Uh, I'm looking. Hold on. Blackbeard I'm going to put up another. White wait. people are. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, Black Blackbeard says, quote, white people are born racist, end quote. The Klan would bl blush. Yes. Thank you, Blackbeard. By the way, if you guys want to see on YouTube an example of an SJW preaching some of this stuff, there's a there's a lot of people who make a lot of money off of preaching this racism. They they call it um, they call it anti-racism. They call it unlearning your whiteness, unlearning your toxic whiteness. Um, we've covered it before on on you can look up some of our previous videos if you're new to the channel. There's a woman called Ashley Shackelford, and you can look her up and she does a presentation about how the melanin, the lack of melanin in your skin makes you evil. That white people are born evil. Uh, that's not racist at all. <laughs> Dexter Berry, thank you, Dexter. Dexter gave us 10 bucks. Some time ago, there were articles about therapists potentially losing their licenses if they try and counsel gender uh, dysphoria. Um, That's not surprising. When we read the APA's guidelines for men, they're pretty woke. They've got the toxic masculinity thing going on. I haven't looked into the APA, the American Psychological Association. I haven't looked into their guidelines for trans stuff, but it's probably just as woke, and it's probably all, you know, how dare you question them at all, and if you do, you're a wrong thinker, um, and you can be, I don't know, not disbarred. I don't know <clears> what happens. You, you lose your license, I guess. Um, there was Blackbeard. I found Blackbeard's. I'm st I still didn't find Elizabeth's... Uh, emoticon uh <laughs> but emoji but i will um steven landau also sends a super super chat thank you steven steven says uh keep fighting the good fight we are with your help uh so thank, thank you, you very steven. much yeah and steven landau is one of our you'll see him in the credits steven landau is a huge supporter of the show and uh 
part of part of why we can do this. So thank you, Stephen. All right. Am I? Am I? Do I have more chats or am I good? New super I chats? think you. I think you covered them all. Um, okay. Good. Yeah, good. I'm looking through. Um, sorry. Stephen, for... Thank you guys so much for the support. <clears throat> so I, I would like to talk about. <clears throat> And when we talked about <clears throat> earlier, excuse me, the di the dictionary changing the definition of racism, mm -hmm. I've had well-meaning friends ask me that they they want to view this as something innocuous, and I understand why you want to view it as something innocuous. And, and the ideology depends on people viewing it as something innocuous, mm -hmm. but it is sinister. And even if you won't believe me that the intention is sinister, and the reason I think it's sinister is you can look throughout history and any, uh, any authoritarian belief system, they control language and thought. This is a sinister attempt to control thought by controlling language. But even if you don't believe me that the intention is sinister, look at the application. The application is sinister. You can see what they intend to do with this by the way people are using it. And yesterday, they haven't even changed it yet. They just mentioned that they were changing it. And there's this Twitter thread, a black woman, a black, I think she's, yeah, a black teacher started. Oh, you, and want, you want me to put that up? I've got it here. You. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here it is. Can you see it? <sighs> yeah, I can see it. So sh her name is Sh uh, Shanna V. White. She says, good morning, teachers. What actionable steps will you take in the fall to ensure that you are anti-racist and intentionally fighting against whiteness in your classroom and school that violently harms <laughs> students and teachers. Okay. Now there's so many things wrong with this. Uh, number one, you're singling out a racial group, which is racist. You're expecting different behavior. You're treating, like I said, they teach you to treat people differently on the basis of race. So she is addressing a group by race. You would never do this the other way around. Like they, but again, they think racism is impossible against white people. It's okay to single white people out and expect different behavior of them. Um, what actionable steps will you take in the fall to ensure you are anti-racist? That word doesn't mean what they, what they, it's not anti-racist. She means to it's ensure you are racist. <laughs> yeah, it's right. speak. And intentionally fighting against whiteness. Okay, that is racist. Now, if you if you point out that it's racist, they're going to tell you a couple different things. Uh, one of the things that they could tell you, which is there's lots of there's by the way, there's tons of responses to her thread. This is just one. There's a lot of white teachers in her thread falling all over themselves to tell what they're doing to fight against whiteness. It's sick. Um, but one of the things they could say is they will give you a long um, pseudo intellectual definition of whiteness to try and explain that fighting whiteness doesn't actually mean fighting whiteness <laughs> right it's not that we're against Those white are... people it's just that we're against right. whiteness it's like saying we're not against black this is what the other side would say right this is what the this is what the uh white supremacist crazy people would say they would say we're not against black people we're just against blackness <laughs> okay uh thanks can you imagine? we're not lynching Can you, you for your for we're just lynching your blackness it's okay. We're just it's fighting so against racist. your blackness. Yeah, so uh, she wants you to fight against whiteness in your classroom. In your classroom, by the way, as if the, the job of a teacher is to push any ideological agenda. That is not the teacher's job. The teacher's well, speaking there to about teach convergence, 
Convergence has happened in educational institutions long before it happened anywhere else. Convergence is the term that we use, uh, I think actually coined by Vox Day or someone, but uh, convergence is, is, the, is what happens when social justice warriors infiltrate and take over an organization and they change the purpose of the organization from its original mission to uh, pushing the social justice agenda as the primary mission and the original mission becomes secondary. And so uh, convergence, you see it happen in companies like Twitter. I've talked about this before. Uh, you know, Facebook might have some wokeness and it's got some problems, but Zuckerberg is very focused on like building the company. And actually, if you look at their stock, you can see why he's much more of a pragmatist. He's going to respond to the wokeness when he needs to and not when he doesn't. That's why people get angry at him a lot. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying he's good. I'm not putting him up on the pedestal. I, I think pragmatists are horrible, and they're one of the reasons that we go down these bad paths is because they compromise. But you look on the other hand, you see Jack Dorsey running Twitter. Twitter's stock, I think, is, is at the same or less than when it IPO'd, uh, unlike Facebook, which has gone up quite a lot. And that's because Jack Dorsey's uh, focus of his Jack, you know, Twitter is converged upon. And so the, the focus of, of Twitter is not to build Twitter's business. It's to first push social justice ideology. And if you look and think about what, what's happened in the last 10 years, Twitter's done nothing. They're kind of, like, I know a lot of people are on, but just kind of stagnating and flailing and their stock sucks. They don't do anything. That's because Jack doesn't know how to run a company. He only knows how to run a company with social justice as the primary agenda, or he's forgotten, or he's just not choosing not to do it. So... Uh, but schools, educational institutions have been converged upon for a long, 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 long time. We say that the universities are the nexus of this. Well, where do you think teachers come from? Where do you think school to superintendents come from? These people have, you know, these people were at the forefront, quote, of this, this radical ideology. Uh, they got jobs decades ago running your school district. And they're just now able to start pushing this out so that, you know, because beforehand yes. it got kicked out by the parents, but it's just, it's rolled out enough to mainstream that they can get away with this crap. And as Carrie mentioned before, they're using these George Floyd protests, which aren't George Floyd protests. Uh, they're using these, these protests and riots uh, as an excuse to really move uh, the football forward, uh, as Carrie said. And now, so now's the time. That's why you're seeing all this. Um, yeah. Couple super chats. Thank you to uh, two sisters and some yarn. Good name. Uh, two sisters and some yarn gives us five bucks and says, "Put this in the knitting classes fund for Carrie and Carter." <laughs> what makes you think we can't already knit? Uh, we yeah. both know how to knit, just at remedial level. We have to get better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, also, um, Graham McGrew says, last episode, you talked about the danger of leftism in education. What resources would you suggest for learning more about classical liberalism? Uh, I've got a great suggestion. The Tuttle please. Twins. If you have, if you have kids, eh, they're, okay. they're all I use right. Tuttle twins. Oh. I, I use Tuttle Twins with my daughter. They're, they're kind of ham fisted and not really well. They're okay. They're okay. Oh, okay. They're okay. not. Uh, look, I, a lot of, I, I would say it depends on what age. Um, so it, yeah, it depends on what age, um, and, and, and asking for an entire curriculum is not something I can answer on the show right away. Although, uh, I have actually worked on a lot cause I did some, some homeschooling. Um, older stuff tends to be uh, a good, uh, inoculator for kids. So like my daughter read all the Mallory Towers series, which is an Enid Blyton series. And then, uh, um, and then I think there was like, I think it was called famous five, which is another series, um, and you know, you can't, 
you don't want to teach kids, you don't want to indoctrinate your kids with any beliefs. I, I wouldn't suggest like, you know, you indoctrinate them with any belief system, but if you give them the right tools, they become inoculated. So you, you, you read stuff that's that tends to be older, it tends to have more traditional values, and it tends to be written in a way that respects individualism, or at least uh, views individualism as a as a positive thing, views the founding of America as a positive thing, isn't anti-enlightenment. Uh, um, so some of the older stuff um, is better for like for fun for fun reading for kids. Um, and what I did, which I've said before, like, and again, this is going to depend on your age, but what I did really early on was teach the idea of universalizing principles, because universalizing principles is also one of the core foundations of um, Enlightenment philosophy and, and the founding of America. And that, you know, uh, universalizing principles is the antidote to the idea that there's laws for the kings and laws for everyone else, right? Um, it's the it's the idea that well if this is a law that we're going to make if this is a principle we're going to stand by if this is a rule it applies to everyone equally and that's actually very powerful to to teach children and you can do it through example very easily when they try and um, break a rule break a promise do something you can just say like okay fine let's let's take that to its logical conclusion like let's allow that to be we can all break promises we can all do whatever and um, and kids get that really quickly it doesn't you don't have to be I think. By the age of five, they understand. They wouldn't say universalization of principles, but they understand the idea that rules apply equally to everyone, and this is how this is how that works. Um, in terms of like classical liberal uh, education, I don't know. We're building a book list on our book club. You can go to the website. Um, we, there's definitely some history books that are better than others. Um, there's it depends what subject, but um, I would, as a default, if you just want to start. Go with older stuff. Older stuff has uh, been, uh, it, it's prior to a lot of the deconstructionism. So what are you showing? This is on my list. This is something is I've it? been meaning to read for a while. I've read some excerpts, but I haven't read it, the whole book. John Stuart Mill on Liberty. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this? there's plenty of classical books like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, one of the best writers ever on this, although he's very dense. This is for older kids. Um, von Mises is, was a an, an absolute genius. I mean, you read Human Action, which is long. Uh, von Mises, he covers, he starts with fundamental philosophy uh, for the, the very, like for the most of the first section of the book, and he is really freaking good. Um, and then he gets to economics and stuff eventually. Um, but there's, you know, there's lots of stuff. And maybe we should start a curriculum at some point. It's been on my to-do list. I have some written stuff. I've got a book list for my daughter that goes through, uh, it's got, a, I don't know, 150, 200 books on it. It goes through, you know, stuff that I want her to read um, through uh, 12th grade. Um, it's mostly fiction. It's like fun reading, but not all. Um, anyway, I don't know. that's my answer to that. So... Can we go back to the teacher and the, the that photo just for a minute, the first one I sent you? Because oh, I want to show yes. you what is happening now that the dictionary has said that they're changing the definition. Oh, yeah. We and I was that. saying, look at the sinister applications of it. So you have this black teacher who's asking, good morning, white teachers, you know, what actionable steps will you take in the fall to ensure you are anti-racist and intentionally fighting against whiteness in your classroom and school? that violently harm students and teachers. By the way, that last sentence, we, we talked about all the problems with this. That last sentence is a problem. Your school is not violently harming students and teachers. They, again, they're trying to conflate 
they're trying to use that word violence as much as they can because they want to be able to feel justified when they use actual violence against different opinions and ideas. So they've been pushing this idea of harm for a while now. Harm, harm, harm. Now they're adding violently harm to it. Um, so if you scroll down, or we don't have to scroll on this, two, two comments down, here's a white teacher that says, I'm tired of whiteness. And I think every white kid I teach should be tired of whiteness too. And so this guy says, you know, rightly so, there's a word for that. It's called racist. And what does she do? They've, they've already doing it. She throws, now she doesn't even throw the new dictionary definition at him yet because it wasn't available yet. She just throws the news article that, hey, they're going to be changing the definition. And she knows as well as I do what they're going to be changing it to, uh, to the SJW definition. So she says, even the dictionary says you can't use that dumb, flawed argument anymore. <laughs> yep. Um, newsflash, racism is still racism. They can't change what racism means. Well, they, they are. can change it. No, but I mean, they can change it in our, the, the way the common usage and what collectively we agree, we've agreed now that it means this. But racism is still racism. They're going to try and change biological sex eventually. They're going to try and mm -hmm. in the dictionary say that biological sex doesn't exist, that it is um, socially constructed, and they're going to try and use medical anomalies as a reason to say that it's not a real thing. That, that doesn't mean they've magically changed biological sex. Biological sex still exists. They've just changed the way we're allowed to think about it. And this gives authority. This is giving the veneer of authority to these lies. Yeah. And, and they, and they need this. And this is, you know, this is why I, this is why I don't think this is going to be over anytime soon because the dictionary is changing. Dictionaries don't change much. So um, this is going to stick with us for a while. It's going to be a fight to, to fight for a while. Um, thank you to um, Constant Companion uh, who sent us a super chat with a, an emoji that says, hey, you. And there's a pair dancing with oh, it, what looks like a sweatband um, and some sunglasses. So, uh, you know, someone, someone in the chat mentioned uh, Yuri Bezmanov. Um, Yuri, I just read his literally two days ago. I just read his World Thought Police book, and um, Yuri is is an excellent uh, excellent guy to look up. There's some videos. In fact, I was gonna probably put some stuff on Unsafe Space about Yuri. I just haven't compiled it yet. Um, Yuri was a he worked for uh, on Agitprop in the Soviet Union. He worked essentially for the KGB. Um, they had a an organization, a news organization. And but like everything in the Soviet Union, um, the, it was not clear what the power structure was, and in fact, it was uh, KGB agents most of it. And um, so he he worked for the KGB. He worked for the KGB doing this, and um, his job. He said, you know, look, a lot of what the money is spent on. You think of a James Bond type spies. Uh, that that's how you think of, of this kind of stuff, like who they're sneaking around, stealing stuff. It's like, that's a very small percentage of what they do. Most of what they do is what he called ideological subversion. And, uh, and what they would do is they would work directly with sympathetic ears in target countries like the U.S. and get them to publish verbatim or some version of um, Soviet propaganda. 
And uh, they were targeting and successfully targeting uh, mainstream media, universities. They were they they had plenty of groups that they were funding, and those groups knew to go out then you know go forth, get your degree, go forth and implement this. A lot of them didn't know that they were being uh, specifically manipulated by Soviet propagandists. But you know I don't agree with him on this. But but his his view of the United States was your weakness is your free speech because what we're doing is legal, and you can't stop us. And we can subvert your entire culture, and so um, and he called he called the left useful idiots in the U.S. and um, and he talked about infiltrating organizations, everything from churches to schools to, to media to corporations, and although this and he defected to to the West, which is why we know about this, and and started talking about it. But um, yes, the Cold War is over. Yes, the Soviet Union is gone. But the reason that it's interesting to listen to Yuri is, you know, as he said, these aren't new techniques. This isn't like a weird conspiracy theory. Sun Tzu literally wrote about this, you know, thousands of years ago. This isn't new. Yeah. We're just doing what every powerful government does. This is what we're doing. And the idea that this isn't being done is naive at best. Um, so, yeah, the Soviet Union's gone. But you got to understand a lot of the roots for this stuff actually did come from Soviet money. Like, a lot of the roots of this came from... They were trying to push a race war, right? Yeah, the Soviet Union fell apart, but the ideology lived on through all of the people they influenced uh, through their agitprop and, and through this effort of the KGB. And so, you know, it's you can mock people who say who call them commies who like call the left commies or they're not commies or you know you sound like an old cold, you know cold I used war. to do that yeah you sound like an old cold war curmudgeon right You're talking about the commies it, it's 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 almost laughable but the truth is this ideology and by the way he will say explicitly he talks explicitly about socialism being the prelude to communism like that's what we all know right so he like you can laugh at it but Actually, the commies were behind a lot of this stuff that has now metastasized and evolved and become something slightly different, but shares the same tenets and, has, most importantly, has the same uh, deleterious effects on Western culture. It causes the same kind of thing. It's not a class war. They realized, by the way, the communists realized class war wasn't happening in, in capitalist countries like Marx predicted. And there was a problem with that because they expected class war to happen, and that's how they would have their revolution take over. So what they do? They decided they needed to gin up race wars. Maybe we should divide this society by race, not class, because capitalism seems to not have a lot of class warfare. And so what are we seeing now? Exactly everything. I mean, honestly, I'm looking at this as a guy who uh, paid attention to the Soviet Union or, you know, early. I'm old enough to remember the Cold War. And I'm looking at this going, maybe the Soviets won. Maybe ideologically they won because the collectivist Marxist ideology that we were fighting for so many decades is here and it's on our doorstep and it's in our midst and it just calls itself by a different name. It's modified itself to look slightly different, but it's the same anti-individualist evil that, that your grandfather or father died fighting. And we didn't go to hot war with the Soviet Union, but... I certainly fought communism. It is um, someone in the comment section on the uh, interview I did on Dr. K's channel where she interviewed me, That the discussion that we had. Somebody in the comments said, uh, I was with this until you got Marxism wrong. And then, and then he went on to say, 
Marx intended this. Marx believed this. Here's the thing. Marx is dead. Idea, his ideas are still alive. He has no control over how his ideas are used, how they've evolved. And his ideas have evolved. I forget who said that about like, hey, people die, but their bad ideologies live on. It's like a living, breathing thing, and they evolve. And I don't mean it, they evolved in the good way. I mean they evolve, they grow and change. And this belief system, you're exactly right, Carter. It, I've been telling people, like, become a student of history. I'm I'm way late to this because I was an SJW for 20 years, and they don't they discourage you from reading history. There's a reason for that. But I've, I've been trying to read about, you want to feel informed about what you're talking about. And you don't have to be a, a super book nerd, but learn a little bit about all the different iterations of this belief system. Um, it's the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. This has happened before. That's why, like, at the beginning of the show, Carter can show pictures of from Maoist China, and we all can draw analogies to what's happening now. Yep. It's the same thing. And, and, you know, I've said this before, but I know there are a lot of new people. So um, I know philosophy sounds boring, and I know you want to dismiss philosophy. And um, that's intentional. They've made it something that is laughable and dismissible precisely because they don't want you paying attention to what they're saying. So the fundamental problem with Marxism isn't, you know, it, it, I would say even the fundamental characteristic of Marxism that makes it evil isn't a stupid economic theory or any of the other stuff. The fundamental characteristic that makes Marxism evil is that it's based on the premise that your life is not your own. It's based on the premise that your life belongs to other people. That's what it's based on. That's the premise it's based on. Um, and, it's, and it's also based on like dividing people into groups, right? These are collectivist, philosophically you would call these collectivist ideas. These are collectivist ideas. And what what bad philosophers have done intentionally is written scribbles scribbles and scribbles and scribbles that make no sense seem to be like just pontificating about the existence of the ceiling and stupid stuff and stuff you don't care about and analyzing you know the analytical philosophers like breaking down words and making stupid arguments how you can never really <clears throat> communicate anything while writing a book um, you know, they, they're, they're, they made themselves ridiculous, but they made themselves ridiculous so you would stop paying attention to what they were doing because what they were doing was building a foundation of uh, really bad metaphysics and nihilism. They were building a foundation of let's destroy everything. Let's destroy concepts. Let's say that nothing means anything, that there can be no up or down or good or bad. They've turned, like moral relativism, you hear the conservatives talk about moral relativism. That all just comes from the the the, the destruction of the ethical of, of, of ethics in philosophy as a as a branch. They've destroyed philosophy. And they've and they and they're sitting there, sitting on a pile of dead philosophers, good ones like Aristotle and, and John Locke, and they're they're waving an anti-philosophy flag and and they're they're jesters they're loony bins they're literally crazy they ought to be in straight jackets and this is the stuff they're putting out and you're supposed to ignore them but the other people around them in humanities departments and universities they listen to them and those ideas are the seed they they turn into stupid white knapsack of privilege articles by Peggy McIntosh. They turn into crappy Robin D'Angelo books years <laughs> later. That's what happens. That's where this stuff goes. And it's all based on 
It's all based on philosophy that you're meant to ignore. They don't want you reading John Locke. They don't want you reading von Mises. Uh, they don't want you reading Francis Bacon. Uh, they don't want you reading. Who are you? Who were you looking at just a minute ago? I forget. Um, John Stuart Mill. John Stuart Mill. Like they don't want you looking at. They don't want you looking at Voltaire. They don't want you to read any of the Enlightenment philosophers. They they for sure don't want you to read what Aristotle has to say. They don't want any of this. They want you to read. Uh, gobbledygook by <laughs> Derrida. They've got Marx based a lot of his philosoph like his his system. A lot of it's based on Hegelian philosophy. Hegel literally believed that the state was an instantation of uh, the the universe's will on Earth. Hold on, my car alarm is going off, which it does sometimes. I got to pause it. I don't know. Um, yeah, like they. It's well, built on it's built on ridiculous metaphysics that a child could argue against successfully it's laughable it's laughable metaphysics it's laughable epistemology but you've been ignoring it because you've been shown that philosophy is meaningless has nothing to do with the real world and it doesn't have anything to do with the real world in the moment but decades later when you're rolling out teachers that have when you have entire subjects justifying themselves intellectually with bad philosophy no one traces it all the way back and you then you get people saying ridiculous things and using these arguments that Carrie's talking about to justify how a racist system isn't racist uh that's all because it's all because it's based on bad philosophy and if you had a decent grounding in philosophy you could look at that and say that's re that's patently ridiculous on the surface i don't even have to consider yeah. your your ridiculousness yeah I would say, um, it, along with your point about how they've made it ridiculous, one of the signs, one of the telltale signs that someone's trying to pull something over on you or push something ridiculous is when they purposefully obscure truth with lots of big words that try and make something sound intellectual. They're trying to make you think it's over your head, just like postmodernist art, all the crap we talked about yeah. with I they feel like Simone de Bouvier does on that a canvas. Lot. Yeah, they're just trying to make you think, well, I guess I'm not smart enough to get it. No, they are not saying anything intelligent. It, it is. So here's a quote from George Orwell that I posted yesterday. The great enemy of clear language is insincerity. Okay, they are very insincere in what they're doing in the dictionary right now. So they're not going to use very clear language when they roll out this new definition of racism. Right. Um the, the great enemy of clear language is insincerity. When there is a gap between one's real and one's declared aims, one turns, as it were, instinctively to long words and exhausted idioms like a cuttlefish squirting out ink. Um, that quote and what you're talking about here makes me think of, if you guys are new to the channel, we read this in book club. This is a great primer if you want to figure out what this belief system mm, is about. Yeah. You know, everybody's recommending White Fragility, one of the cult books. This is a good book for you to recommend to them. And by the way, read White Fragility. Read that crap. I know it sucks, but read it. And then ask them to read this. This is called The Madness of Crowds. This is by Douglas Murray. Um, he, he, he breaks it down. I think this is a good, we are, this was, there was no new information in this book because we focus on these issues. And if people focus on them, you're going to find, well, I know about these things, but it's great for normies. This is what you recommend to normies because they don't know a lot summary. about this. And, yeah. um, it's a great summary. It's very thorough. And there's one part of this. I know we're reading a lot today, but this is so relevant to that George Orwell quote about, and about what you're saying with philosophy where they just say nonsense now. Um, 
this is a, he says, okay, so he's talking about Peggy McIntosh, who's the white woman who coined the term white privilege. And you guys should really look into her if you're not familiar with her. Um, he says, another curiosity about the intersectional movement. Now, intersectional movement isn't just another word for SGW ideology. Okay. Another curiosity about the intersectional movement is the camouflage that it employs. For aside from McIntosh's most popular document, the one thing that all the purveyors of the ideologies of social justice and intersectionality have in common is that their work is unreadable. Their writing has the deliberately obstructive style ordinarily employed when someone either has nothing to say or needs to conceal the fact that what they are saying is not true. Here is one sentence from Judith Butler in full flow. Judith Butler, by the way, I I was indoctrinated in college 20 years ago at Duke University. Judith Butler was a big part of my women's studies classes. Wait, wait. Now called gender studies because women is problematic. Strap in. This is going to be a paragraph. This is is it a sentence or a paragraph? <laughs> this is going to be tough. I carry it. If you can get through this, kudos to you. Yes, this is the funny part of the show. Okay, so let's listen to how they write. Now, does this sound like someone who's trying to make sure that the person she's talking to understands what she's saying? No, I'd say it's quite the opposite. Um, <clears throat> Judith Butler, quote. The move from a structuralist account in which capital is understood to structure social relations in relatively homologous ways to a view of hegemony in which power relations are subject to repetition, convergence, and rearticulation brought the question of temporality into the thinking of structure and marked a shift from a form of Althusian theory that takes structural tonalities as theoretical objects to one in which the insights into the contingent possibility of structure inaugurate a renewed conception of hegemony as bound up with the contingent sites and strategies of the rearticulation of power. It actually was one sentence. It's a, it's a whole paragraph. <laughs> but, but it's, it's one, one sentence. sentence. Yeah, that's one of my what favorite gobbledygook examples. <laughs> Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, not you. It's da, not you. Da, it's da, her. Da, da, da. <laughs> yeah. It's totally. not. Um, by the way, thank you to the super chat. Uh, M. Johnson says, aren't teachers in a position of power? Uh, I don't think they're viewed as in a position of societal power. They are in power over their kids. They are but, in power. Uh, yeah. But, you know, if you learn anything about social justice ideology, learn this. Consistency is not... Uh, the consistency is not one of their tenets. Well, who was the bad philosopher who says consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds? I, for, I forget oh, who that was. Good. Uh, but another <laughs> bad philosopher... But they quote like they don't they don't care. Uh, they're not they're not trying to be consistent. Um, and I don't think they view teachers as having power generally. Um, so um, Marianne says they would reply that you're just not intelligent or enlightened enough to understand it. Yes, that's exactly what they say. What I want to make sure you guys understand is that's not true. That this person is not saying anything, and and you have to feel comfortable calling out these charlatans. Um, there are some great quotes on this. I'll try and find them for a future episode. But um, a wise person, an intelligent person, doesn't have to obfuscate what they're saying to you. In fact, an intelligent or wise person 
uses words, they, they choose their words carefully to try and make themselves clearly understood. They're trying to articulate themselves in a way that they can be understood. They don't need to hide things with big words. They can use big words, but they're not going to just string them together in a meaningless sentence like this. Right. There's a difference between saying, hey, that guy said something and I don't understand that one word he used. Let me look that word up. Okay, now I'll get the whole, now I'll get the whole sentence. That's different than using a bunch of made up terms like this and stringing them all together with the yeah, purpose it's of, all jargon. of hiding. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and I think that's, that's strictly true for basically every form of communication with the exception of like prose and poetry, things that are meant to be appreciated linguistically might be sometimes confusing, but, uh, an academic paper should be clear. Uh, by the way, uh, thank you to Elizabeth O'Brien who gives us a super chat and says, set up reading recs on website adults homeschool. Yeah, uh, I have I have some stuff done on that. I just haven't put it anywhere online. Uh, I will try and <laughs> I will try and do. There's just so much to do right now. Uh, but yeah, um, for adults, a fun list of books is is just on our website already. You can go to the book club. There's some interesting books, but. Uh, I mean, it depends on what the curriculum you want. Like, what I don't have is a good reading list for history uh, so far. I've got some ideas, but uh, there's a lot. There's a lot out there. Um, all uh, right. <laughs> Carrie. Billy just said. Oh, go ahead. Uh, wait, just read this. And then we'll Billy says, <laughs> Billy Costello. Now, this would be funnier if I could do a Scottish accent because he's Scottish. <laughs> he says, Carrie, I really think I have to di dissect your recent enunciations as they contain several very potentially problematic de redefinitions of underlying systemic paradigms. I suggest you engage in open and internal meta-reflection on your obvious empathetic devolution. At the end of the day, there's nothing you can do to stop the catharsis of spurious morality. See, I, I'm going to use this. However, I understood what you're saying. Yeah, this is my example of how, how horrible they are. It's hard to be that bad. Billy tried to be confusing, but... Because he's thinking and needs to make a sentence, it's really hard. He used big words. He tried to make it confusing. Imagine the mind that can write the sentence that Judith Butler wrote. I mean, imagine that mind. It's not a brilliant mind. It's a, it's a very confused, fractured mind that puts together a sentence like that. Um, it's it's hard. It's it's like it's hard to it's hard to say random numbers. It's similarly hard to write random words together. Uh, so she has a talent anyway. Uh, uh, Billy and says, actually, Billy, I, I, I wish I could have super chatted that. Saying. Thank you, Billy. Thank you for the super chat. I understood what he was saying, even though he used big words. He didn't succeed in using word salad. It really has to literally right. mean nothing. And as Meeg says, she, uh, I think it's a good point to point out that Nietzsche wrote like that, but he actually said things. So, yeah, the, uh, you've got to pick through it, but at the end, you get a legitimate message. Yeah, see, I see those things as different. Nietzsche used a lot of big words, and you do have to pick through it, but Nietzsche didn't write things that were meaningless. And like you're saying, it yeah. Although Nietzsche said did have some contradictions, he was trying to hide. Emmanuel Kant's another good example. Try reading Critique uh, of Pure Reason. You you want to shoot yourself. Okay. Um, but uh. he was he was hiding. Uh, he was hiding some pretty fundamental sleights of hand in his book, and I I believe that Nietzsche was as well. Um, so Nietzsche makes some good points. Um, Kant even makes some good points, which I know is heresy to some people, but like. Uh, the the overall some of he's hiding some some dark premises in all of this um and he makes he makes points to you know a lot of those are to obfuscate the dark premises so um i don't know carrie uh can we switch 
just a minute. I know we're still going, but there's a couple of things I want to share before we end. It's 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 been a long show. Yeah. Uh, I want to go through. Uh, maybe I'll do this one first. Um, do you know what Crunchbase is? Is that a gym? No. <laughs> so, uh, Crunch startup space? world. The startup world will know what Crunchbase is. Crunchbase. Uh, okay. So. A long time ago, TechCrunch, a little rag called TechCrunch, was started. It covered um, it covered the uh, tech world, the startup world. It was sold to AOL pretty early on. Um, actually, I think one of the founders is kind of a libertarian-leaning dude who I think has just retreated to the woods of Washington somewhere. I don't, I don't know what he's up to. Um, and he probably is afraid to speak now because he'll be <laughs> vilified. Um but TechCrunch, there was a, they ended up spinning off this thing. I think it was after AOL acquired them. Not AOL. Uh, anyway, someone. I forgot who acquired them. Uh, it was after they were acquired. Uh, they spun off Crunchbase. And Crunchbase is a database of uh, startups and venture capital firms. And it has a bunch of information. It's designed to be like you can look up a startup, see who the founders are, maybe even see what rounds of funding they've got so far and from whom. You can also similarly look up venture firms to learn some more information about venture firms. Uh, often in investors. Uh, I always avoided giving, they always solicit you for information. They're always sending you emails asking for information. I always avoided putting information because I never really, I felt like it was my information and it was never really any of their business. And I didn't really want the, I didn't want the cold, uh, the cold emails that might come from it. Like I did I wasn't interested in, in that kind of a thing. So I've always kind of annoyed them. But um, my wife and I are both on, their email list still, uh, and she is on their venture partner email list. And I want to I want to read you the email that she received. Uh, As a crunch-based venture partner, you are an important part of our ecosystem. I'm reaching out to you because we need your help. So this is going to investors. Let's be clear. We have a unique opportunity to take action in support of the Black community together with the help of your portfolio data. So they're asking, hey, we want some data on the companies you've invested in. A Wired article published on Tuesday stated that diversity, quote, data offers a clearer picture of the problem, and data, along with sustained attention to these issues, will reveal whether recent corporate pledges to do better are just more diversity theater, or if the VC industry is, in fact, signaling a new era. So what they're saying is, I know a lot of you VCs out there have said you're doing better, but prove it. Please give us your portfolio information. Okay, let's see what they want. (laughs) Crunchbase is ready to help usher in this new era. And we want you to be part of it. By the way, Silicon Valley has been converged upon a long time ago. These people are insane. You do not invest based on the skin color of founders. Let's just make that perfectly clear. Unless you don't want to make money. Uh, Okay. For the first time. uh, Real quick, just one comment. Usher in this new era. Right. Isn't that Orwellian? That's. Orwellian, it's my, I get goosebumps. <laughs> I'm like, oh, something bad's coming. <laughs> right. Here we go. So they say, for the first time, we are adding diversity data to Crunchbase. Includes race, gender, and sexuality. Who are your founders fucking? All Crunchbase users will be able to see the data later this month when we launch our new feature called Diversity Spotlight. <laughs> the Diversity Spotlight. With Diversity Spotlight, visitors will be able to search for companies that have diverse founders or identify investors who make investments in diverse companies. Or potentially um, mob, vilify, and cancel investors who have invested successfully but too many white guys. 
We need your input to ensure that your firm and your portfolio's diversity data is accurately reflected when the diversity spotlight feature launches. So if you don't share your data, you'll be on the blacklist of evil Nazi wrong thinkers. So that's the email. Um, you know, I you want to invest in in minority businesses or diverse businesses, uh, go ahead, but it's not the best strategy uh, for making money. And um, and by the way, neither is investing in white kids the best strategy for making money. The best you strategy is invest in the best businesses, which is a very hard pick. question to answer and not easy. Uh, it's hard enough to be a successful venture capitalist. I know people have this view that VCs are all rich, but uh, that's because you hear about Kleiner Perkins and the big ones. It's hard to do it well. And it's hard, especially early stage investing. It's very, very difficult to be successful. And uh, there are some angels like Jason Calcanis who are very good at it, but it's not easy. Uh, so the idea that like spread your money around to people and throw in this factor of their who they're having sex with and what color their skin is as a criteria none for of, investing. None of that matters. No. Hey, by that's, the way, that's not a to, all, way to, to all the LPs in the world. Yeah. This is why giving your money to venture capital firms is generally a dumb idea. You are throwing your money away. If you're an LP, start your own family office, do your own investing, maybe get together with some other like-minded LPs in the world and start your own firm. Do not give money to Silicon Valley venture capital firms. It, you are throwing it away. I know it's cool. I know you feel like you want to go back to your home country and be like, you know, I, I put money in Kleiner Perkins 18 fund or whatever it is. Don't do it. Don't do it. They, these these people do not care about making money for you. Um, and they uh, haven't for a while. Couple along these same lines, yeah. while you get the super chats. Uh -huh. So, like I said, I've been hearing from a lot of parents who are now being confronted by their kids because the ideology is now turned on all these sleeper cells and have told them to go out and confront their families. But I'm also hearing from parents who are getting letters like that one from their kid's school. Oh, and there's so many of those. There's so yeah. many. You, If you're not alone, if you're a parent and watching this, there's so many. I've, I, I've even been sent several different ones I could read. I'm just going to read from one of them. I, I don't need to tell you where this is because it's everywhere now. This is a, this guy got this from his daughter's, for, uh, his 14-year-old daughter's school. Dear students, staff, parents, guardians, and community members, it is with a heavy heart and controlled anger that we write to you about the racism and police brutality that still permeates this country and has resulted in protests across the nation. Now, one second, can you imagine the school district writing this letter about the protests against shelter in place? Right. Well, no. uh, according to doctors, uh, COVID is only a problem if you're protesting against it, but it's not a problem for uh, Black Lives Matter protests, Carrie. So yes, get your, I've, I've get heard your science straight. This virus is really for intelligent. For God's sake. Um, but can you imagine <laughs> a school deciding that this was uh, their job or responsibility to write a letter and take a stance about, I mean, I, I wish they would have, but that's but they didn't. They're not going to. But they here they are taking a stance on this. Um, George Floyd's death in Minneapolis was a senseless loss. Okay, and one other thing. George Floyd's death is, someone told me, in a, I, I was showing some of the stats about police brutality, and some of the studies, several of the studies, do not show the narrative that they are currently 
teaching us. There's uh, there's several of them. One of the ones that sticks out to me in my mind is the Harvard one, the Harvard one from a couple years ago. Uh, the guy's name was Roland. I'm blanking on his last name, but a couple interesting things about that one. In the Harvard study, he found that white people are more likely to be met with lethal force by police officers, uh, but that black people were more likely to be met with force in general by police officers. Now, that's a very nuanced finding. That doesn't support this very clear and easy to understand narrative that they're selling. Um, and the the guy who did that study, the professor who did that study at Harvard is black and he's on the record saying that he expected to find the opposite about uh, who's more likely to meet lethal force. So that one, that one sticks out for me because it, I tend to believe, I tend to trust him more because he tells me his, this, his findings went against what he expected. Um, well, and, and Carrie, but, just generally, you're, you're never yeah. supposed to mention um, you're never supposed to mention black criminality during this. And I talked about this in my video that was released earlier, but you're never supposed to mention black criminality during a time like this. You're told that it's irrelevant to the situation. And it is irrelevant in the sense of it's irrelevant to George Floyd's death. That is true. Um, but if you're going to then leap from George Floyd's death to systemic racism by police um, and, and say that you know, blacks are uh, disproportionately met with force or, or killed, um, by police, uh, well, then you do have to talk about criminality because uh, the higher the percentage of criminality, the more interactions with police. So right. if you imagine, imagine a small community of people who never, Amish, I don't know, maybe they never leave their, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know, maybe Amish get in trouble, but imagine a small community of people who never, ever leave there's they never leave their little reservation or whatever it is they never do anything wrong they're perfect 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 people in every way I'm not saying those people exist but let's imagine that well they're gonna have zero interactions with police that result in death because they're not interacting they at all with anyone they ever. don't have any interactions yeah that's right and you could look at the demographics and say well they are a part of the population and they have no interaction. therefore everyone else is disproportionately affected by police brutality um, you can't you can't make that assumption without accounting for the amount of interaction that cops need to do with the black population, and it is disproportional. So they're gonna have they're gonna have more good react like solid interactions with cops where everything is done by the book and correctly, and they're gonna have more negative interactions with cops where things are wrong. And when that happens, obviously we need to hold the cops accountable. And no one is arguing that George Floyd. Uh, or sort of that uh, Derek Chauvin should not be facing charges, and he is. Sorry, right? I didn't he should be, interrupt. and he is. So when I shared these stats and studies that go against the narrative, and again, there's several studies you can read. You should read them mm -hmm. yourself. Um, one of the people who uh, pushed back with on me and disagreed with me, her initial comment said, "Okay, well, I've read these stats and studies, but she goes." I have seen the video of George Floyd and I have seen the video of Michael Brown. Now here's my question. I said, exactly. There wasn't a video Why of Michael you, Brown. Well, she, it doesn't matter. She mentioned someone else. I've seen this video. Maybe it was Michael. Or someone. My, my point is this. Why have you seen this video? Why have you not seen the videos that reflect the statistics? There's a white guy who died last year. And this is hilarious, not hilarious, not that he died. It's it's funny that I cannot remember his name because nobody can remember his name. I wish it was on the tip of my tongue. 
But I've, I read about that case because it came up in my feed. Like, why wasn't this made into a big deal? He died on camera, tragically, horribly, in the similar method to George Floyd. And nobody knows his name. And I can't remember it. That's the point. I can't remember it because it wasn't, it, nobody saw that video. Why you should ask yourself, why is the media, why is the media cherry picking and showing you certain videos? Why are they permeating, permeated everywhere? So thank you for making my point for me, lady who said, I've seen this video. Thank you for your stats, but I've seen this video. Yes. Why have you seen that video? So for this letter from the school district, but when they say, by the way, that just on the face, that's such a stupid response. That's like saying like, oh, uh, (laughs) white people are generally taller than Chinese people. Here's the statistics. Okay. But I know a tall Chinese person, so that's wrong. That's not how statistics work. Yes, Yao Ming is tall, but that's not how stats work. It's just, it's so stupid. Anyone who would say that has to be either really dumb or just totally dishonest. Yeah. Well, it it is a, she made my point for me and, and ended up agreeing with me on some things. As I pointed that out, I was like, yes, you've seen this video. Ask yourself why it's not reflective of the stats. Why haven't you seen the other videos? What, what is happening here that causes everyone to have seen this cherry picked video, but not the video of the white guy whose name I can't even remember. Um, so in this letter from the school, when they say this is a school addressing one cherry picked death that became the video became ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. It was everywhere. George Floyd's death in Minneapolis was a senseless loss. It was. It was a senseless loss. But why are you writing this letter about one cherry picked senseless loss? As Mark says in the chat, Mark says they used his death video as a shock and awe tactic to recruit people. They have propaganda films and veganism like Dominion that do the same thing. Yes, this is propaganda. It's not that it didn't happen. It did happen. It's not that it's not awful. It is awful. And as Carter pointed out, the police officer should be should be charged, has been charged. Um, but but why are they using this in this way? Um, and so the school says now you've got schools across the country. Everyone's using this death in this way. George Floyd's death in Minneapolis was a senseless loss that brings to the surface again that our inability, that our ability to respect and protect all American citizens needs our focus and undying attention. We should not rest in our quest to accomplish this work and utilize our right to peaceful protest, legislation, community activism, and education. They put education last <laughs> in an attempt to yeah, end racism. School. Yeah, they're just a school. Education last and education in an attempt to end racism and violence. So all of this, what is their goal? Um, Jonathan Haidt talks about how there are two choices in education, the way he sees it. You can go the John Stuart Mill route, which is to find that you should look at education to, to try and find truth, right? Or you can go the Marx route, which is that education should be used to indoctrinate and to turn people into activists. This letter from this school is basically, hey, hey, parents, we're going to turn your kids into activists. Get used to it. Um, By the way, we went that route a long time ago with school. We are. It's already happened. Now they're just like with the diction. Now they have the. It's more they explicit. Feel, it's yeah. more explicit. They're telling you now. Um, as we represent the Brunswick School Department, we want to affirm our commitment to the values of equity, 
Okay, they didn't say equality. Equity, diversity, and inclusion. Hey, the die. Yay, the die. There it is. Equity means equality. You can think of it as equality of outcome. They didn't say equality because they don't mean equality of opportunity. They mean equity, which is equality of outcome, which necessitates discrimination. That's what it, it, it necessitates you being racist and sexist. Um, equity. When they say diversity, they say diversity. They don't mean the diversity that's most important, diversity of opinion and viewpoint. That's not what they mean. When they say inclusion, they literally, the, the word inclusion, SGWs use that in an Orwellian sense. They mean exclusion. They mm-hmm. will censor you. They will throw out ideas that don't conform. They will pile on you and shame you. If, and they will literally be excluding you while saying it's in the name of inclusion. Right. They'll say shut up. Shut up is part of inclusion. Yeah. Part of inclusion. Um, I won't read the rest. That you get the you get the yeah. gist of it. But there's been times of people sending me letters like this from their schools. You're you're not alone. This is like Carter said. This has been happening for a long time. We've been talking about how it's been in the schools and even kindergarten for a long time. It's just now it's ramped up. This is a new phase. Now it's explicit. Yeah, and I I think what's happening is you've got. Um, I think these 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 ideologues. And this is the argument I've been, I was arguing with someone about this the other day. These ideologues have been in charge for a while. You've just not noticed it. They're too smart to say this, like, overtly. They're they're not going to say it overtly. They're not new people. The school didn't hire new people, and they didn't change their mind about this. This is, they have felt this way. This has been their thought process for a long time. Now they are emboldened by by what's happening in culture and by the prevalence of this everywhere. They are emboldened to say it explicitly. That's all that's happening. They're taking their masks off. They're just taking their masks off. That's all that's happening. Yes, they're taking their masks off. That's all that's happening. A couple of super chats I just want to get to. Uh, Marie Buskey says, (laughs) gives us five bucks and says, uh, for the Get Carter a PA fund. (laughs) Thank you. You know what? Before a PA, I don't really need a PA. I mean, a PA, it would be nice in, a, in an alternate universe uh, or in a fantasy world. Probably Being just people that edit assistant? videos, do some other stuff. Yeah, PA is a personal assistant. Um, there's there's other stuff that we need that would free up my time, which I requested at the beginning, by the way, for those of you who missed it, I did request someone who wants to do video QC to email me. So please do that. Um, also, Westy40 says, uh, thank you for the super chat. By the way, he gives us 25 bucks and says, I can't ever participate in these live chats because I'm at work, but I love how the channel is growing. We need you guys in these crazy times. Thank you, Westy40. Uh, Thank you, Westy. Really Thanks, appreciate Marie. it. Yeah. Um, and you are and looks by like the you way, participating today, so that's good. Marie sent me some chocolate all the way from New Zealand. Ah. Thank you, Marie. So it's not waxy. Is it like good European style it's chocolate? It's really good. It was all melted because it's super hot here, so I had to put it in the fridge, which made it even better because then it was all yeah. hard. That's cool. And, uh, like really crispy chocolate. Okay, we should put a long Carter. show. A long show. Uh, if if you're new to the channel and you like what we do, you can support us in a number of ways. Uh, uh, you can support us financially. Thank you to all of our subscribers on Subscribestar. You guys are the reasons why reason why we're able to have a new. I'm able to have a new laptop. 
uh, we're going to get, we already had a camera. We're going to get the thing I need to use the camera. Um, but we really appreciate your support. It's, it allows us to do this. It's going to allow us to get more help and do some of the other things we want to do. If you want to support us, you can go to subscribestar.com and look at for unsafe space. We also have a store online at unsafespace.com. You can check out our shop. We have t-shirts, um, and we are doing a book club. If you want to be a part of the book club, it's one of my favorite things that we do every month. We read a book and then we all talk about it. And the one we're doing, um, this month is called ordinary men. You can find out about it on our website, uh, under the book club section. And if you want to join the discussion, you can be in the video chat with us. You just have to email speak at unsafespace.com and let us know you want to be in the discussion this month. Um, or you can be in the live chat like you are today. <clears throat> By the way, Maria Busky says, if you return to my email, I'll send you yours. I have it ready to send. I said also at the beginning of the show, I am apologizing to all the people I owe phone calls to, emails to, uh, subscribe star stuff. I need to update <laughs> the credits. There's new people that should be in the credits that aren't. I have so much to do. I'm sorry. I will get to it. And uh, I do want chocolate. So I'm going to search <laughs> through my email inbox right after this and email Marie. So uh, <laughs> thank you all for watching. Uh, have a good weekend. We will see you uh, on Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of the Go Heavy Break. Oh, and thank you. For, Billy Costello just sent us another another super chat. Uh, see, I'm trying to wrap up, but people want to send us money, so I can't I can't hit end if we're if money's hey, coming. Hey, thank in. you, thank you uh, for the super chat, Billy. <laughs> Billy says I've been drinking ginger beer this whole time. I apologize for exercising my Scottish privilege for clout. Uh, <laughs> I exercise your Scottish privilege away. Uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, and if you're wearing a kilt, please send us a picture. All right. Um, that's that's somebody, it now, finally. Somebody said, somebody said that I like my chocolate hard. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I walked right into that. Uh, <laughs> I yes, like sophomore jokes. I'll laugh at them. Thank you. <laughs> uh, there was a... Uh, I knew someone once who was a like a um, a really naive housewife like mother of a couple kids but like one of these housewives in la you know like the la housewife who's like yeah. just all in that scene you know that scene right probably I reads the, right trashy you know people magazine and all that stuff and bakes cookies all the time um just but totally naive nice totally naive uh she was needing some new furniture and she made the mistake of googling uh dark hard wood <laughs> and was shocked <laughs> at what came up <laughs> in the search results. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you go. I'll leave you all with that horrible note uh, and bad imagery in your head. Uh, <laughs> thank you all again for watching. Don't forget to check out the Yasmin Muhammad interview we did earlier this week. And uh, have a good weekend. Bye, Carl.